This is HPR episode 2545 entitled HPR 2017 New Year's Eve Show Part 5. It is hosted by various hosts and is about 141 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is Part 5 of the 6th Annual HPR New Year Show. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Generally got a, a, an original 56 Les Paul. I've got a reissue of a 56 Les Paul. Ah, right. So it's got the big chunky 50s neck on it, but it's not an actual yeah. 50s one. Yeah, it's a, it's a, if you look at it on, on the interwebs, it's an Epiphone, it's a limited edition um, Epiphone 1956 gold top with P90s. Um, it was, ah, I see. Nice. It was the only, the only thing that was a Les Paul from 54. To all through 55, 56 was this model, this colour, this spec, this everything. Then 57 arrived, the humbuckers arrived, and they, this, went into, this went into obsolescence. But that's a reissue of that sort of two or three year period I've got. Very nice. I've got a lot of guitars, more than I should probably admit to owning. Yeah, well, that, that along, I've got three PRSs as well. But, um, <laughs> SEs or proper barristers? No, SEs. <laughs> SEs. Hey, Casper, you around? Play some guitar if you are. Casper, if you're around. Yeah, I had a PRS SE, but um, I sold it to make way for various others. I've got um, I've got a Gibson Les Paul, a Gibson SG, and a Gibson Flying V, all sort of low-end Gibsons. But still, if you told um, 20-year-old Joe that he was going to one day own those three, he wouldn't have believed you, I don't think. Yeah, that's exactly why I I fell in love with the oh right right okay might as well step back some almost everyone that I know in real life already knows this but you guys probably don't have to realise this so when I was sixteen I started playing the guitar I taught myself um I taught go on um yeah sorry. <clears throat> Um, so basically, I taught myself guitar, and um, I thought I kept kept seeing in these magazines like all these other guitarists from all these different genres had. They all had Les Pauls, they all had Telecasters, they all had Stratocasters, and there's I thought that there must be something about these three instruments above everything else. There must be something about these three that that makes them so versatile, so playable. So there must be something about them. And there's no point in comparing like the the copies or the um like the the squires or the epiphones or whatever. I'm talking about the proper proper Gibson, the proper Fenders. So I went into a, vari- a few various music stores, guitar stores. That's when I was 16, 17. Um, saying like, have you got like, a, a proper Les Paul, a proper Teller, a proper proper Strat? And I got playing a Strat quite 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 quick into that. 
but it just didn't grab me. There was nothing. There's nothing for me in a strat. Played the telly quite quickly as well after that, and the telly is like, oh, I can see why people like it, but it's not really for me. And it took me a wee while, and then eventually I found uh, a Les Paul in Glasgow. And as soon as I started playing it, I mean, I was I was not very good at all, but as soon as I was playing it, I almost felt like that that there's something like a spotlight had opened in the clouds, and there was this light that only I could see, the spear me. And the guitar, and I wasn't, I knew I wasn't very good, but the Les Paul just made me sound awesome. So, um, for that point, I was a Les Paul guy <laughs> all the way through. Yeah, well, it's funny that I didn't really fancy getting a Les Paul, and I got my SG first. Um, and then I was kind of looking at flying V's, but they're too expensive. And then I, I saw this, um, Gibson Les Paul in the faded finish. I think they call it Les Paul Studio Faded. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's pretty basic no binding um it hasn't got a shiny finish it's just sort of um rough wood that's just been stained brown um and i managed to pick it up for 40 420 quid um and uh, it's it, i i love my sg i love my flying v which i got subsequently a few epiphones well i've got two epiphones and a squire that i also like but there's just something about that les paul there's a reason why it's so many guitarists have played Les Pauls over there's just it's sort of I don't know it's just the best all-rounder that I can well it's the best all-rounder guitar I've ever played put it that way and I've owned Strats and I've owned a Fender Strat I've owned uh, uh, I've got a Squire Classic Vibe Tele which is sort of as close to a Fender as you can get some would argue that it's nicer than a low-end Fender I don't know it's a great that's all I care about but there's something about that Les Paul which is really special yeah, for me, all of my guitars, I've got a, a Hercules rack as well. It's got like seven guitars in it at the moment. All of mine are what I would call the sort of high end of the semi-pro range, which is where you're getting to sort of three, four hundred pounds, four fifty maybe, at a push five hundred. Um, at that point, that when you go up the range, you're not getting that much more bang for the buck. Yeah, you're getting a proper. Yeah, so the law of diminishing returns, to call it. You know, if you look at um, a 400, 500 pound guitar and compare that to a 1,000 pound guitar, it's not massive. The 1,000 guitar is going to be nicer, but it's not going to be massively so. Whereas if you compare a, a four, 500 pound one to a sort of one or 200 pound one, it's night and day. Then conversely, if you compare a 1,000 pound guitar with a 2,000 or 3,000 pound guitar, there's barely any difference there. And it's uh, the more, it's, it's like that with a lot of things in life. The more you spend, there's a sort of flattening off of the graph and it's that law of diminishing returns. So I think the sweet spot is probably somewhere between four or five hundred and a grand. Yeah, because that's that's what I'm looking at. All the instruments I've got are the way I would look at them is the professional where it counts, like in the sound and the playability. Um, that's where they are professional. They've obviously cut corners everywhere else. Like cut the, the finish looks good. But it's not, you can't, there's not, it's not multi kind of layered lacquer and all that kind of stuff. It's fine, but it's just yeah. not, nothing, nothing to write home about. Yeah, and you, you don't have the flame top maple and stuff like that, which is is really all about aesthetics. It, the guitar is going to sound the same whether or not you've got that and the thing and all the rest of it. I mean, the, the SG and Les Paul I've got are very similar. They're that, that really stripped back, faded look uh, studio, which, you know, they don't have any binding, any um, aesthetics dot inlays you know it's very basic stuff but it still plays like a gibson it's still made in the usa it's still got the gibson electronics it still sounds and plays amazingly 
And for me, that's all that matters. It would be nice if it had a beautiful flame maple top on it. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not paying another grand for the sake of that. Yeah, that's... That, that sounds that, a bit posh. Yeah, that, that's that's where all mine um, are in the sort of three to 400 range. Um, I do have my eyes on a classic vibe, a Telecaster, 60s Telecaster, possibly in butterscotch blonde. Um, just off the top of my head, I'm just just saying. Uh, well, I was looking at that, but I, what I ended up with is the thin line one, which again is kind of a wood looking. It's it's lacquered, it's shiny lacquer, unlike the Gibsons that I've got. But it's um, a thin line, so it's semi acoustic, which is uh, I I'm I've got a soft spot for semis. I've got a um, an uh, Epiphone ES three three nine and a Dot as well, which is like the three three five. Um, well, Epiphone version, and then the, the shrunken down one, the slightly smaller, which is the three three nine. On and on, I, I just like semi acoustics. I, I got a one three three seven here. On Late. on that on on that sort of three three five three three nine thing. Have you heard of the the Epiphone Casino Coupe? Yeah, that's totally hollow, as opposed to the three three fives, which have got the center block. It's uh, it's totally hollow. I think the Casino, which. Uh, it's, it, it makes for an interesting sound, but try and play that loud live, you know, through a big amp live, you're going to get all sorts of feedback issues. Well, the reason I mention the Casino Coupe is from everything that I can work out, that is the jangly sound of the 60s. All that all that jangly 60s music you can think of, that's a, well, it's a casino rather than a Casino Coupe. Uh, but that's a casino. That's what it is. That's, that's the closest you're going to get to that, is a Casino Coupe. Uh, for that jangly 60s kind of vibe. Did they come with P90s? I think they did. Oh, yes. Yeah, which is that sort of halfway in between a humbucker and a single coil, isn't it? I've never been a massive fan of them, really. So the P90s are single coil. It's just that they're fatter single coil. Yeah, so that that's why you get that in-between sound. It, it doesn't sound as thin as a sort of Strat-type single coil, but it's definitely not a humbucker. Yeah, exactly. It's got the kind of chunkiness of a humbucker. But it's got the um, the sort of um, still kind of brittle brittleness of of a of a single coil, and the the snarl on this thing is unbelievable. That's that's where I got into the P nineties for uh, from was the Boston sound. Tom Schultz, his all, all the Boston solos were um, what a sixty nine gold top I think, with the P ninety on the um, on the neck I think. Uh, that's where the source came from. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking at um, the PRS. Uh, there's a PRS SE, uh, so it's you know it's made in the Far East. Uh, baritone, uh, you know, oh, the baritone's the a long Oh yes, because I, I like to play. I, I like to play a mixture of um, you know quite soft stuff and quite heavy stuff. Um, and my my SG is actually tuned to B flat, drop B flat, so it's C standard. Um, and drop the equivalent of drop D from that. Um, and really what I need is a baritone guitar if I'm going to play that. And so you only have to make a couple of tweaks to the tuning, really, of a baritone. Um, but I'm, I'm not convinced about P90s. I don't know. But you're saying, can can you get a really heavy, thick, metally sound from P90s? That's that's what I worry about. I don't, I'm not convinced that you can. Um, I, would say, I would say yes. I mean, there's... It's P90s do have a unique sound. It's one of those sort of a hidden um, lost arts, like hidden secrets kind of thing. I don't know where most people assume. I mean, part part of part of what I what I got it 
was people would look at that and go, oh, it's a Les Paul. But it's not really a Les Paul. It's, it is, but it's a, it's a different character. It's not it's not a regular Les Paul, but it, it takes you sort of a lot of examining to work out, like, what is it that's different about that? Um, and yeah, the neck is chunkier, but, but it's the P90s. That's what makes the difference. But you, they only kind of show themselves under certain sort of conditions. Yeah, it's funny that my um, both my uh, 339, the Epiphone 339, and my Gibson Flying V have got coil taps on them. So you pull the, um, the volume and it splits. I don't know if it's tap or split. I don't know what the technical term is, but you get half the humbucker. So you get a, a single coil kind of sound, um, which... I think is somewhere in between uh, a Strat single coil and a P90. Um, and I think with enough gain on the amp and pedals and everything, you can get quite a thick sound with it. But but then you, when you drop it back into humbucker, there's just that extra thing, that extra thickness that makes it, um, I don't know, just preferable for my money. I, I thought if we were really going to get deep on the guitars, I mean... You can you can have the best guitar in the world, but if, if you don't have the soul, what's what's it going to do, right? Just like a like a PC. Yeah, I think the the way that I would I would compare the um, the P90 to like the humbucker is like the humbucker is almost like the digital, the on off. Um, the, the the P90 is more the the sort of the the variance. That's got um, dynamic range. Are you talking the dynamic the range, yeah. I mean, the P90s can go from something really delicate and really sort of haunting and really like beautiful, and the echo is just amazing. And it can go from that that it's, it's sort of dirty enough just to make it sound really, really good. And all of a sudden, you can just squeal like a mofo when it comes to some sort of a solo or or something. The range is just phenomenal. It squeals like a mother. It really, when when you go for it. P90 is really squeal. I think you might be selling me here. I think my wife is going to despise you when I buy yet another guitar. She's not not keen on my growing collection, put it that way. Yeah, the P90s are such a rare thing. It's like most people only think of humbuckers or single coil, as in what the, 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 the regular ones, the thin ones, like the Strats, the Tellys. But the P90s are that pi- that perfect hybrid. Um, they've got all the the kind of the earthiness of a single coil, and they've got the grunt of a um, of a humbucker. But you know, on a on a telly, you've got your lipstick um, pickup at the neck. That to me isn't. It's nowhere near a strap. Um, pickup. It's it sounds what I imagine. I've never played a P90, but I've heard a lot of them, obviously. But it's what I imagine. It's closer to a P90 because I don't know what's different about that pickup, but it's it's to me it could, sounds much nicer. Much... Right? Could that be on the telly? Is the is the lipstick one? Is that the one that's pointing off at an angle? So there's different. Uh, so it's hitting different parts of the um, different harmonic parts of the string, and it's picking no, up that's different the, that's places. No, that's the one at the bridge where you've got uh, that at an angle. But the one at the neck is the the one that doesn't look like any other type of pickup. It looks like um, they call it lipstick because it kind of resembles a, a shiny crime lipstick thing. Sort. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. Um, so the P90 is one of the things that um, 
Uh, since the humbucker arrived in '57, the P90s basically were old tech. Nobody wanted them, um, and for a few years, just couldn't get them. All the Les Pauls, all the Gibson range were all humbuckers. Everything was humbuckers. And every now and again, just on some whim, some retro act would bring that back, and it would get kind of popular among some a small minority of people, and then it would go out of fashion again. And I happened to ride the the last, well, the, last year I got it. No, last year, early last year, I managed to get onto this thing as soon as I saw the uh, the Les Paul with the P90s, the '56. I, I specifically got a credit card just to buy that guitar. Not that it was mo- the money. The money was wasn't a credit card worthy. It was just I didn't have. I was I was already paid at that point and couldn't afford it. So I got a credit card specifically for my my my, my gold top. I uh, see. Living in London, it means that I don't really have to buy anything new. None of the guitars that I own, uh, apart from a really cheap acoustic that I've got, were bought new because the, um, there's such a thriving market on Gumtree and to a lesser extent eBay, you can pick up some real bargains. You've got to be careful of fakes and everything, but if you know what you're looking for, you can get some really cheap guitars in good condition. I mean, I got my Flying V, um, which is a very nice finish and everything. Um, I picked that up for five seven five um, secondhand, which uh, I think it's probably worth... <laughs> that was before all this Brexit business and everything, <laughs> like slightly before it. And... Um, uh, before the pound tanked and everything so now i think it's it may even be worth slightly i paid for it whereas See, if you're buying anything new yeah you're instantly it's like buying a new car it's just instantly worth less than you paid for it yeah true uh i mean there's one one guitar actually that i fell in love with around the same time as the les paul um that i would you can only buy it second hand now because gibson stopped doing it have you heard of the m3 Three as in three eyes, like Roman numerals, M3. No, I haven't. I'm going to have to look it up quickly now. Right. The M3 was, it was basically, it was derided as a Gibson Stratocaster. Um, it was a dual cutaway, 24 frets. Um, they, was it two humbuckers, one single coil, Floyd Rose um, tremolo, um, reverse headstock, kind of mental inlays. It was insane, and this was a Gibson. It's <laughs> a proper Gibson, <laughs> but it was insane I'm looking, looking. looking at it now, I'm looking at it now, it looks like a Jackson or something, or an Ibanez. Exactly. It's insane looking, and there's no way you'd think that was Gibson, but yes, that was a Gibson M3. They've just reissued um, a double cutaway Les Paul. Well, I, think, I don't think they actually call it a Les Paul. I think they just call it a Gibson double cut, and it looks quite like a PRS, like you saw your classic Custom 24 or whatever. Um, but it's because it's a limited run, it's like two or three grand, something ridiculous. Yeah, the thing is, I love PRS. As much as I fell in love with the Les Paul all these years ago, I had that kind of moment in Glasgow where the light just hit me and was like, yeah, I know what it's like. I know this Les Paul feeling. I like this. I'm one of them. I've, since then, um, never been able to afford or justify a real Les Paul or any... I mean, going beyond 500 for a guitar, that's really pushing it for me. Um, well, that's why I'm saying look secondhand, you know, especially with the um, studio faded, Les Paul. I, I say I picked mine up for 420. Yeah, I'd, it might be um, up there a little bit more, but like for 450, 500, you could definitely pick one of these up in really good condition. Um, so, you know, it's, it's worth looking out for. 
Yeah, so, I mean, that that kind of price, even then, I uh, wasn't playing the guitar that much until a couple of years ago until I got back into it. Um, but at that point where I started looking at, right, what kind of decent sort of top-end sort of semi-pro level kind of, kind of guitar that I can get, and I found that, lo and behold, um, PRS were there to answer my prayers. Um, like this new SE range had came out, and, and this was right in the right kind of price range. Um, so, yeah, I fell in love with PRS all over again. <laughs> I'll tell you the guitar that I would love to buy. Have you got um, Google in front of you or whatever? It's some image search in front of you. Well, uh, there's every chance I know what it is anyway, but what is it? Well, it's the finish. So it's it's uh, uh, one of the 2018 uh, S335s uh, in aquamarine colour, oh, aquamarine no, finish. Just give me a second. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I, when I saw it, I fell in love with it. Um, however, then I saw the price of it, 3,300 quid, and I suddenly got, uh, thought, mm, microphone dot, and I found one for 150 quid in the end. So uh, that, <laughs> that'll do me for now. But it's funny that that led me to, to doing a, a search on Anne's website for, you know, if you, if you look at this, 3,300 quid, I think it is, or 3,400, something like that, for this beautiful, beautiful ES-335, what can you get for that kind of money if you're willing to go for these high-end finishes? And I worked out that you could get nine really nice guitars for that. And I think it was um, uh, a, a decent but low-end Gibson Les Paul, uh, a, a decent SG, um, the Epiphone Dot, a um, uh, couple of Squires, and you know you could get n- nice guitars, or you could get one amazing guitar. And there is just no way I could possibly justify spending the best part of three and a half grand on one guitar. I think I'd have to be uh, Mark Zuckerberg before I got that or or at least mark shuttleworth before i could uh, justify buying anything like that yeah i think it's it's more about how good you are realistically how good you are and what you intend to do with it i've went back to to basics in terms of i taught myself how to play years ago but i never really pushed it i never really got anywhere near as good as um uh as i could have been for the time i've been playing so recently I've went back to back to basics and learning scales and patterns and all this kind of stuff, all the boring stuff, um, to get back. And my, my intent was to be able to get reasonably decent at most styles, enough that I can um, record and release things that are reasonably decent. That's my kind of goal. Uh, and at that point, it then becomes an investment for me to go for that kind of semi-pro kind of level, whereas if you're if you're talking about investing like two grand, three grand or more on a guitar, and hell yeah, I mean a PRS custom artist, they give me that every day of the week. But like two and a half, three grand, I can't justify that. I'm not. It's not as if I'm making a living playing music. I mean, the, the guitars at that kind of level are really aimed at people who are. That's their job. That's their career, is, is playing instruments, and they're playing big stages, and um, either that, they're in the studio recording in some high-end gear, or they're playing some concert with some high-end gear, and it needs to be reliable, it needs to be always in tune, it needs to be, um, it needs to feel good, it needs to do all these kind of things, and at that point, it's worth two grand, three grand on a guitar. Oh, definitely, it's worth investing, but I think that 
once you get to more than about 1500 you're only paying for aesthetics and um uh, uh like how rare the guitar is and stuff if you're willing to pay 1500 for something yeah you can get a sort of an entry level prs you know an american prs or you can get a decent gibson for that kind of money maybe 18 maybe two grand but anything more than two grand you're just paying for the looks of it and and how rare it is and i think that that really you're getting into collector terms because i think that if if you're going to pay two grand for a 335 or you're going to pay three and a half it's effectively in a blindfold test you probably wouldn't tell the difference between them yeah that's the thing i mean i I watch a lot of um anderton's videos uh reviews videos and the ones yeah 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 um the the thing that surprises me a lot of these times when you see the comparison videos is like Squire versus Fender or um or Gibson versus Epiphone or whatever, you know, the American the, the custom, the high end one versus the, the mass produced Korean made or whatever. And what surprises me is the amount of times that yeah, they can pick out the cheap one, but it's gets very difficult and it's down to really minor things. Like, um, oh, I happen to know that the, the headstock on this is shaped a slight bit different on, on this cheap one, and I happen to brush against it, so I happen to notice it. It's these so minor things, and I'm thinking for the vast majority of people, it sounds good, if it plays good, if it looks good, then job done, basically. Why spend four or five times the, the, the price to get the same effect that only you are going to notice the difference? Oh, definitely. And I think that with with Gibsons, there is a difference with the lacquer that they use. Um, they, I think it's nitrocellulose is on a Gibson, whereas it's polyurethane on an Epiphone. And having owned both of them, you can feel that difference. And it does definitely feel nicer on the neck and everything. Um, but I think when you get into Fenders and Squires, they're, they're all bolt-on neck. Um, and really, I, I have played some nice Fenders, and I've played some low-end squires, and honestly, okay, the electronics might be slightly different in them, and you might have better pickups in the um, the fender. But if you go for a high-end squire versus a low-end fender, or even a high-end fender, I, I can't tell the difference. And some of these fenders, the custom shop ones that are going for like four or five grand, I think you've got to be you've got to have more money than sense really to to be paying that sort of money for them. Yeah, I, I must admit though, I, I like the. Um, I've definitely had my eye on a, a, a Squire um, classic vibe sixties, probably probably fifties Telecaster. The, the butterscotch blonde is, is gorgeous. That's so gorgeous. Um, and then a sixties one as well, a sixties uh, Strat, um, like the classic vibe Strat, possibly the three tone or the two tone, um, sort of sunburst. And uh, it's in the sixties strap, but these these are nice. Well, as I said, I've I've got the classic vibe um, tele, but not the the solid body one. I've got the thin line one, and that's a great guitar. Um, it was quite expensive actually. I think I paid uh, the better part of three hundred for it, which for a Squire is a lot because it is that is the highest end Squire you can get. But I've played Fenders. I had a Mexican, no, sorry, Japanese Fender Strat before that was a great guitar but honestly can't really tell you it was much better than this squire that i've just bought and i know it's it's telecaster versus um uh strat but at the same time i'm telling you if if you want a great guitar the classic vibe you from what i've seen of my classic vibe strat uh telecaster you could go a, a lot you know you could do a lot worse 
Yeah, I think when it comes to um, sort of un, well, so I've, I've had two tangents there. Um, one is if you were that I've just looked at the uh, ultra pelum blue. You said was the three three nine. Sorry, you broke up a bit there. I'm saying the, the that three three nine color. Um, I've got Google Images in front of me here. Is it the ultra 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 pelum blue? No, no, it's three three five, and it's aquamarine. I'll try and paste an image uh, link in the chat. No, I've, that's all right. I've now found it. Oh, that's um, uh, uh, give me a second. I thought I could hear Abba in the background, and now I've heard SOS. Um, I'm not knocking Abba, but uh, that's uh, well, I am knocking Abba. I was going to go all, all homework and giving it. Well, yes, sir, is the end of our conversation. But uh, no, Abba's been on for a <laughs> while, actually. Um, but hey, yeah, I noticed another song earlier. <clears throat> I hope that... it doesn't cause any problems uh, <laughs> when this goes out as a podcast. Well, that that was why I'd asked earlier on if people could hear it, so that I wasn't I wasn't interrupting and he was recording or anything like that. That's that's why I asked. Uh, I've I've been hearing it all the while. I've been uh, thinking, is that Abbott? Then I heard SOS, and that is definitely. Now I don't think it's going to trigger anything because um, I think you have to have quite a keen ear to tell what it is, but you can certainly hear something. Right, so I've turned it down a wee bit then. Um, okay, sorry about that. Um, I'm seeing this uh, aquamarine. That's quite a nice colour, actually. It's absolutely... I fell in love with it. When I saw it, I fell in love with it. That looks like a PRS kind of colour. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I've got, I've got PRS in the brain. I'll, I'll, see, if I had the money and the space, I could happily set up a subscription to, to PRS, like whatever... Whatever the model, whatever the colour, just just charge my charge my account and send me. You know, uh, obviously I couldn't afford that, and I don't have the space for that. But um, but yeah, I do like PRS. Yeah, I think that PRS have um, certainly pushed some boundaries when it comes to finishes, and it's made Gibson have to compete with that, and that's why the the more modern Gibsons have got nicer finishes and more. Um, experimental finishes uh, you know something a bit different rather than just your standard gold tops and um sunburst and all the rest of it uh, now you're getting these really ones uh, the, these really nice ones there was one um uh, translucent blue i think it's called yeah trans blue uh les paul oh. i think it's an epiphone which is really beautiful as well i, I love those bluey green colors I thought you'd say when you say the translucent blue, that's that's my PRS um, SE twenty four. Yeah, twenty four is a translucent blue one. Nice. Is that one of the more modern ones with the bevel top, or has it got the flat top? Um, I'm not sure how you how you'd answer that. Um, it was well, well, put it put it this way. So, if you've ever played an SG, you'll you'll know that that has got a flat top on it whereas a les paul has got a bevel top it's got that sort of rounded cap on it and the thing is that a proper american prs that's always had that rounded top but the very first se i'm not going to want to be listening to it through this right the the very first se's that came out they were flat they didn't have that bevel cap on top get it out of here Um, well, I don't know about that, but mine's is, is certainly it is kind of rounded. It's um, it just feels like like a regular um, a regular PRS. It looks like a regular PRS as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's like it was only the very first SEs, I think, and I 
bought one of those very first ones and it, it was never quite right to me because it was a beautiful guitar, but because it had that flat top, it just, it didn't feel like a proper PRS. And in the end, I, I sold it for, I think a little bit over a hundred uh, less than I paid for it, which is not like me. Normally I try and go for really good bargains, but I, I knew a lot, a lot less about what I was doing back then. And uh, it was a nice guitar, but uh, I just, it wasn't as nice as the ones that I've replaced it with. Uh, the other one that, that I was thinking of, uh, this is all kind of the stuff that's within, it's like what I would justify spending um, on a guitar uh, for how good I am and what I'm using it for. Um, the other is, it's the Epiphone Casino Coupe in Inverness Green, which is a, a limited edition colour. So the Coupe, is that a slightly smaller? Is it like the 339 size? Yes, it's, um, it's basically a 335, but with the, the neck um, sunk deeper into the body, so that it's overall it's, it's shorter and less less unwieldy. But basically, uh, yes, it's a smaller 335. That's it. that's what it is. Yeah, except that it's totally hollow, isn't it? Rather than the 335, which has got a center block. Um, oh, sorry, it's the it's the the smaller version of the casino. Sorry, not the 335. And yeah, the casino is hollow. Yeah. Yeah, that does look quite nice, but I, I just think if you were looking to play it live, just that feedback issue would be um, too much. Uh, unless you play in sort of jersey type stuff or maybe jangly 60 stuff at a push, but if you're playing anything with any sort of overdrive or distortion, then forget about it. It's just going to feedback like terribly. You know, I'm not so sure about that. With the, the various reviews and uh, that I've seen, the Dawson's music channel is quite good as well. Um, it seems to be quite quite decent. Inverness Green, or did you say Glasgow or something? No, Inverness Green. <laughs> yeah, looking at that now, it's an, yeah, I've seen those before. That is a, a nice-looking guitar. It's certainly one I'd love to add to my wall, but um, I don't think it's a high enough priority to, to make it through the wife test. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of these where... I mean, my, my 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 Les Paul is close enough. Really, it could it could do the sixties thing, and not well enough for me. But um, yeah, I keep looking at the at the coupe and thinking, oh, <laughs> could just heavy breathing. Yeah, the, therein lies the problems. Where um, the, the, probably the worst day of my life was the day I discovered, oh, you don't, you can't just have one guitar on one rack, you can actually have one rack that has lots of guitars on it. Oh, how many can it take? Oh, ten, you say? Oh, I could do that. Not a 11. problem. Eleven. Yeah, you just need to get the little separators. You get the, the five rack and get the little separators. And that's, that's at the point where you're looking at four or five guitars thinking what's next, rather than looking at the four and five guitars going thinking, do I really need that many? Have I went overboard? I would say that what I do is I have hooks screw to the wall um, and it's just a case of how much wall space have I got because I can buy those hooks off eBay for sort of three or four quid and then they just go on the wall and then uh, whenever I get a new guitar and I'm running I'm very quickly running out of wall space Here's an oddball one, right? I, I got this so that I could sit and play when I'm watching TV and it just doesn't take up much space Have you heard of the Traveller uh, guitar? It's called an Ultralight no, I haven't. 
Right, this this is going to blow your mind. I'm going to give you a link to the ultralight, and this is this is the guitar I use almost all the time when I'm sitting watching TV, right? Just sitting doing scales or or whatever. I don't see it in the chat see... there. Yeah, give me a second. I'm half wasted. I'm going to give a give me Google search, uh, and then I'm going to find it. Just give me a little bit of it. Is it headless? Ah, oh, right. There's uh, someone's linked it. Is it sort of headless with the tuners in the body? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a picture of that now. Yeah, that looks very strange and hard to get used to, but um, good for travelling with and and good for sitting on the sofa, maybe, as you say. Yeah. The point is the yeah. It's 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 in either in black or natural. I've got mine's in black, uh, but that's a damn good guitar. It's not just. It's not just a novelty in terms of the size um, and the shape. It's actually a damn good guitar in its own right. All right. Live. Casper. It... And Rudiger. Oh, there he is. There he is. We've probably driven everyone away with all our guitar geek talk. No, you brought us in. Brought us in. Although I'm having to kill these headphones because the, the latency with this low latency system is far too much. It's Casper and Rudiger from the Alien Brothers podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to to barge Welcome. in like this. I apologize for for Casper who just decided that we needed to just get in on the action. But by all means, you guys keep going, keep going. We'll we'll get in here at some point. What what podcast are you from? Sorry, the Alien Brothers podcast with Casper and Rudiger. We're relatively new on the scene. What do you yeah. talk about? I, I, that's a that's a that's, that's a, a great, great that's, question. That's the question. That's kind of that's that's the question we're still trying to figure out. That's really, I think, what most of the podcast is is about. We did talk about something hackerish once, right? In episode two, strictly hacking. Yeah, I think last time we were talking about the in, impending downfall of, of our of our empire. That's episode three. Oh, it's yet to air. Oh, yes. Okay. Sorry. So it's okay. So sorry to interrupt. So- Go ahead. Well, that podcast, I believe, is Hacker Public Radio, right? Hacker Public Radio, yes. So, I'm looking at the light, that ultralight you you were talking about. The the things are interestingly backward. Does that affect the sound at all? Because you strum, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter which end is tightened, right? It doesn't matter what end the little thingies are on, right? The you, news should be tightened. You, you tune it. It's, it's, it's awkward. I'm not going to lie. It's awkward. Um, it's one of these where when I'm looking at whatever string it is, I've got to actually mentally sort of draw my eyes up around the top of the string and then pull it down the back <laughs> and then vis- visualize it through the back. And I've got I've got to sort of turn it sort of facing the back. Right, okay, that's that one. And then right, grab right, okay, and not lose sight of that. Right, it's always that one I'm tuning. That one I'm tuning. That one I'm tuning. It's awkward. I'll grant you that it's awkward. But while it's in Does tune, it stay in tune though. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a proper, it's a proper semi-pro guitar. It's a proper, really, really good guitar. Um, I mean, it's a single pickup, but its quality is really good. I mean, you're on par with the sort of high end of the Epiphones or the the best sort of Squires. It's that kind of that kind of range. Uh, it's a really good guitar. It does make you look like there's going to be a key guitar player in your band, though. Well, maybe, but um, I mean that. See the, the nothing little, wrong with that, of course. Pseudo echo. See the the little sort of um, knee rest thing. That that actually is detachable. Mine's is off. 
uh, it's just, there's just two poles that's stuck into like two, like two dowling holes. Uh, you just sort of lift it, sit it off. Um, so it looks even more, even more kind of rad without that. <laughs> I thought all the the real 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 guitar players would uh would would sell their their nice guitars for junk and then have to go buy a five a five string or something. Yeah, maybe C sixty for this one string diddly bar. Yeah, I kind of did that through the years. I would have one guitar for a while and then get a notion for another one and end up trading it in at ridiculously poor prices and. Pay over the top, and you know, it's, I've been there. I've, that's most of my guitars up until the last wee while have been like that, where I've had one at a time and gradually downgrading um, to the point where you've spent a fortune and you're left with this piece of crap. Um, so, the last couple of years, that's the first time I've actually got anything resembling decent guitars, and that's my PRSs, that's my, my gold top, um, that's my, my traveler. I've got a, a subray bass as well, um, a Music Man subray bass as well, a five-string bass. Nice. I've got a very cheap um, Dean five-string bass, which uh, so actually sounds all right, and I don't play enough bass to really justify an expensive Warwick or something. Yeah, I'll, I've I've always wanted to learn. I mean, I can do a bit of the kind of finger-style bass, but the the big thing is... I'm always drawn to slap bass. There's something about slap bass, the kind of Mark King, Flea, um, you know, oh, there's just something amazing about slap bass. Oh, man, funk. Funk is the last refuge of the talentless musician. Have I offended you now? No, I was just thinking if that was a new career path. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I don't know. I, the one, the one thing, the two things I can't stand in music are slap bass and wah wah pedals. It's all about how they're how they're used. See, I've I've I been suppose, trying, but... I've been trying to wrap my head around different techniques, mostly guitar techniques. And oh, oh, that's another thing. This year, I learned how to do sweet picking. I've always been fascinated by sweet picking before. I can now do sweet picking. It's hard as hell. But yeah, actually, no, I probably shouldn't be saying that because I'm probably out of practice now. I learned how to sweep pick a few months ago, and I could do it s- sort of. I could I could basically sweep pick, but that's one of these sort of complicated things that I've always been curious how to do. Slap bass is another. I finally, finally, finally figured out the thing that I was missing about slap bass is it's not just. I, I was thinking it was always just a like a a, a right hand technique, like a, a a picking hand technique. It's not. It's it's that. It's also your fretting hand. So you've um, for muting, and then you've got damping as well, and hammer-ons and pull-offs and things. That's it's really a two-handed technique. And more than that, it's a it's a rhythmic technique on a melodic instrument, which is another thing that just blew my mind. Is like if I'm playing a melodic instrument, surely the technique is melodic, but no, slap bass is rhythmic on a melodic instrument. Yeah, there's definitely a rhythmical element to any bass. I mean, if you look at upright double bass a lot of that sort of slapping and stuff is um traditionally keeping the rhythm but you know in, in the old skiffle bands and everything it was as much the bass player's responsibility to keep the rhythm as it was whoever was playing the washboard or whatever yeah and that that's what made me sort of compare it with sweet picking as well have you tried can you do sweet picking do you know what sweet picking is i have a, a vague idea but i i'm not 100 percent, and i definitely can't do it Right, you've heard of it though. It's one of these advanced things that um, that's not. To it's be like tempted. a shredding thing. 
yeah, yes, 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 kind of. So the idea is, it's one of these. If you're playing a chord, your 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 left hand, your fi- your fret, your fingers hand, your f- hand that frets the notes, is in the mindset of this is a chord. You're you're fretting the notes all at the same time, and you're playing the chord. And your your right hand, your your uh, stroking hand, is hitting a chord. Everything's mentally you're like a chord. On sweet picking, you've got the the, the fretting hand, the thing, the, the hand that's playing the notes, is like a um, is like a chord, but you don't play it like a chord. You hit each individual note one at a time. So you're playing it like the, the you're strumming like a like a lead guitar or like a rhythm, uh, sorry, a, a melody, whereas you're, caught, you're, you're fretting it as if it's a rhythm, and, and you're, you're, you're picking of the notes as dropping from one to the next, to the next, to the next, and then back up again. It's, it's like some weird hybrid between two different styles. You're, like, so you're fretting something as if it's rhythm, but your actual thing that's making the noise is lead, and it just messes with your head. It really messes with your head when you're trying to do, like, Two halves of one thing that don't seem to add up, but yet they kind of do. That's sweet picking. That's the kind of mental that just messes with your head. Sweet picking messes with your head. I'm gonna to have to look up how to do this now and give it a go in the new year. It's actually I one... go now. I need to go and deal with. Uh, uh, so I need to go now and deal with something. I may be back a bit later, possibly, but I may. This may be it because I have to be up for work on Tuesday. It's uh, the way it's fallen this year is not ideal. Normally, you get a couple of days after New Year, whereas I get one day off after tonight, and then it's back to work. So uh, I need to stay up all night talking to you lot. Well, that's us taking offence then. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Have a good New Year. If I don't see you later on. Yeah, I may be back. Let me see. Uh, I just have to deal with my cat and stuff, so I'll be, uh, I may be back. But if not, uh, yeah, have a good night, everyone. I am back anyway. Check. Oh, can you? Un- hey, can you turn the the music up in my headphones, Casper? Yeah, hold on a second. Can you can you turn the music up? Yeah, yeah. In my on. headphones. Yeah. Can can you turn my headphones off? Hold on, wait, hold on. The blue light's on. Dual I did turn the blue light on. Okay, that's is that cool? Yeah, no, that's great with me. Is this, good. is this thing on now? I think so. How do we know? Can can people hear us? I don't know. They might we, they might not yeah. respond just out of spite. I can you hear. know. You know, I was just thinking, have you seen Futurama where the the, the aliens arrive and he's given the big, big speech about, I shall kill your entire planet, and he doesn't realise the mic has been switched off. And he's like, under. I haven't seen Futurama for a while, actually. But, Zoidberg. Yeah. a very, very spinal tap yeah, attempt at uh, world domination, you know. Always got to make sure the light's on, you know. Did uh, anyone acknowledge the last time zone? It's it's every is it oh, turned to eleven? Know. Yeah, it's top well, it's, Is it it's set right. at eleven? Oh right, <laughs> I was just realising that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, it's three o'clock, so there's it's past the time zone, past midnight and New Year's for for some people. Yes, uh, we like to welcome Brazil, Argentina, which includes Buenos Aires, Santiago, Austin. Asocion Paramatio into the new year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New yeah, Year. Ha- yeah, Happy New Year. Although we don't seem to have any 
everybody on this from these countries might have a listener, but but yes, yeah, so it's, oh. it's always the usual countries for this. A lot never come on to the actual show anyway. Uh, any, that's another thing I've been doing over the past year as well, is starting learning foreign languages. So I am, uh, I've been doing Duolingo, which is art is great. Um, I am 58% fluent in Spanish, 53% I think fluent in French, and 38% uh, something fluent in German. 53% So that's quite high. Yeah, it's quite a decent amount, eh? and I've, I've been doing the three languages for, for about a year, basically. Why? Why? Just for fun? Because, I mean, it, yeah. it won't matter soon. The, the Chinese are taking over the world, probably, with the <laughs> stuff being made over there for the most part and all that. And actually, with, uh, you know, Brexit, we have to make more deals with China soon, probably, anyway, in this country. No, it's just, just for fun, really. Um, I mean, I thought about... If I'm speaking to, uh, from an employer's point of view, if you're dealing with the dealing with the outside world, if you've got somebody that can do the same thing and speak multiple languages at the same time, you know, um, that's that's a that's a big a big plus. You know what I mean? Well, it isn't. It isn't. Depends on the language a bit. I mean, I can speak fluent uh, Swedish, you know, but it's not that useful anywhere except for in Sweden and. Scandinavia, probably a little bit more useful than, say, Welsh, then. Aye, well, that's it. I mean, I did, I was trying Welsh for about a week, and I realised Welsh is insane. Welsh, there's, there's a lot of languages are sort of connected. Um, there's, they're kind of built up in similar ways. You can see the connections between them. Yeah. yeah but Welsh, there's nothing at all. There's, it's like, it's like you're totally lost in the sea, and they're all dingy. And there's nothing to identify where you're going. It's just utter guesswork and <laughs> oh, no, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, fin- uh, Finnish is like that as well, I think. And uh, we've got Casper's uh, background music, but um, I'm going to try and make a request to Casper to play something and let's see what we can actually do. So I've had um, play some heavy metal, Casper, or something like that. Come on, can you do it? No, not. No, is that is that not something more something more bangy or um... <laughs> bangy? Actually, Boston is the home of the heaviest metal ever played. So you want some some death, some Norwegian death rock? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 maybe it's something like that. I don't know if you could even play that. <laughs> Let's find out, isn't it? Oh, oh, it sounds like a challenge. Okay, all right. See, I, I was just doing the acoustic because I didn't want to blow out eardrums uh, here, but. If, if we got a challenge, accepted. Stand by. And take headphones. I'll, tur- I'll turn my headphones up. Hold on. Headphones off if it gets too loud or down. <laughs> now tell me, fellas, from a hacking point of view, is there anything heavier than a 105 howitzer? A howitzer being fired by a happy? Every 4th of July, we have uh, 1812 overture, and they use 105s. I think it's the concussion section. Oh, wait, wait, hold on a second. Is Casper going to play something a little bit more? <laughs> Although maybe he has a point about the eardrums. 
Oh, he's muted himself. Anyway, I was just thinking, Gordon, when were you last doing a podcast before this? Uh, pass. No, when you, you're not, you can't remember when you last did a podcast. Uh, it's been a while. Um, probably best part of two years. Not including last year's HPR New Year show. Then I, I guess you mean. I, I guess you mean. Yes, you were here last year. You know, that would work with the whole Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Force Trek thing. Um, you were here last year. Um, now, I wouldn't really call this call a podcast. I mean, I know that is. It's the same this year and, and last year, but I wouldn't really call that a podcast. So the stuff outside of here, um, two and a half, maybe years ago, something like that. In fact, last year, I believe you were on two or three episodes of this podcast. That's entirely possible. I didn't listen to the podcast, so that's entirely possible. I know I was I was hanging out here for a while last year, and then the same this year as well. Um, yeah, you, that, didn't listen, you didn't listen to the podcast that you won as a podcast, is that what you're saying? I know. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Although, yeah, I mean, I think I think you said you yeah yeah you didn't you stopped doing that with Quirins as well. I think towards the end, if I remember correctly, when you did that. Yeah, this that is lost interest in a lot of. A lot of podcasts. I cut down on a lot of podcasts that I was listening to. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, even your podcast when you were doing it, you, you had that you stopped listening to it as a listener, didn't you? Sometime oh, soon as yeah. after that. Plus, most people don't like the sound of their own voice on these recordings. Anyway, what are you trying to say, like? <laughs> um, no, I just, I just got kind of bored with a lot of things. I just lost interest in a lot of things. And podcast was one of them. Um, and I think now that I realise part of the pressure to do blog posts and to do tweets and to do whatever, that really does the work for me. Um, so I think even podcasts probably not something I'll be doing much of. Um, same with blog posts. And I mean, I mean, technically I'm on Twitter. I've got a new account, but I hardly ever use it. Um. Yeah. Well, wow. Twitter's Twitter's pretty much a waste of time anyway, really, unless you've got actual followers. But then you have to, of course, build up followers in the first place, unless you're somebody famous, because then you can get like millions of followers overnight. Um. Saying that, uh, as an example, uh, <laughs> for American people as well. But I mean, how many followers does Donald Trump actually have on tw- Twitter? I decided. I could stop up a wee bit longer. Just a wee bit longer? Aye, just a wee bit, like. That's quite decent. I applaud you, sir. I applaud you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I've lost my train of thought there. As much as that was fun, that derailed my train of thought. I, I had a reply already for that. The, the, for me, the uh, I don't know if it's Glasgow or like some Scottish accent, but one of the key words is decided. Rather than decided, like there's a sort of eed at the end of it. I think that sounds more like up north, up kind of more Dundee or Perth, maybe. Ah, uh, maybe. Now, when it comes to and accents, that... I'm a jack of all trade and a master of none. Uh, so I can kind of do a vague-ish impression of most of them, but they're all pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back, Joe. Uh, social media is pretty much a waste of time. Your Gordon really well depends. Like I've uh... got followers. And uh, Joe, um, give us a let me think of an accent. I, I just do 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 a um, New Zealand accent. Oh, New Zealand is difficult because it's like it's Australian, but instead of saying his, they say has. 
Yeah, and sex instead of yeah, um, yeah, sex and sex. Sex instead of yeah, it's almost Scottish, like sex. Yeah, um, no, I remember what I was, what I was going to say there is, um, and here's here's the part where I would just jokingly say, "Oh no, I forgot it again," but in case I do that and then accidentally forget it again. Anyone listen to the Tech Dot podcast from the middle of December, maybe about the the lost art of debate? I think it was called. And the guy was was making a really good point about Twitter itself. Like, you, if you say something on Twitter and you get a response to it, the response because it's only 140 characters. Now, okay, they've they've doubled that now, but 140 characters, you don't have any space to go into any caveats, any nuance, any, well, yeah, this is true, but in this example, it's such and such. You've got to cut that straight down to the bone of what it is. And without all that kind of softening and the caveats, it comes across as more antagonistic. So Twitter itself, with the character limit and the design, it's kind of designed to be almost Jerry Springer-like in terms of uh, debate and discussion. And mic drop. You know that uh, so is your mother fits nicely in 140 characters. Well, there is that. There's just people being ridiculous. But I think that there is an argument for um, the the benefits of Twitter, and especially now it's 280, which gives you a little bit more uh, breathing room to to make a point properly. But it it stops big walls of text, doesn't it? It means that you have to be concise. If you've got a point to make, you have to make it quickly. There can be no extra um, flowery language and, and things that you don't need, any unnecessary stuff. It's got to stick to the point. It's got to make the point quickly. And I think it goes both ways. It, it can make the, the discourse shallow, but at the same time, it can also mean that it's very focused and you don't have any distractions. It's straight down to business, make my point, mm-hmm. um, and, and not mess around. Then again, that's, the- that, that's exactly what you have in political circles. Any nuance in politics is just thrown out the window. It's just broad debate points, broad debating sides and the, angles, the... and and it's it's like a it's like a competition. Um, that's the exact same thing. The one thing with Twitter that when I was using it, I mean, yeah, the character limit. But I remember how it seemed that hashtags and links would actually get included in, in the character limit as well, which is a bit annoying, and. Um, also, Gordon, you remember the days of Identicat? Ah, yeah, and StatusNet and stuff. What they call Mastodon these days, of course. Like all good dinosaurs, it knows how to reinvent itself. Well, one of the best bands of the last 20 years, Mastodon. But yeah, interesting that um, Identica and Status.net... Um, and GNU Social and everything didn't seem to make much of an impact. But then when it was rebranded or forked or whatever you want to call it as Mastodon, suddenly it took off and it was for a minute there, the the latest thing. And everyone seemed to be jumping all over it. It went viral. But of course, that, uh, you know, that has ended up a bit of an echo chamber and uh, no normal people are on there now. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I honestly haven't been following Identica or any of that for a good, I don't know, a good two years or something. So, <laughs> Mastodon, I've never even heard of that. Oh, well, Mastodon is just a re implementation, essentially, of Status.net. Um, it's federated. So, 
you've got all these different servers and you register on one server and these servers can talk to each other via an API. I don't know the technical details of it, but um, you can talk to people either on your server or on all the servers all over the world. Right, what happened to PumpIO then? Because, I mean, StatusNest sort of became PumpIO and then they also forked the old thing and that became the only social. That's what I thought, anyway. I'm not exactly sure where Pump fits into it. I I remember reading about it at the time, but um, at the time that Mastodon got big, because I was aware of Identica back in the day, many, many years ago. <clears throat> and um, the social I'd been aware of, and there was an evolution there. But the, the latest sort of version of it is called Mastodon, and um, that has it's it's got reasonably big, uh, certainly among Linuxy type people. But um, I don't think it's had much success with the mainstream. You, you've got um, as Twitter has um, grown massively and still not implemented the feature, the one feature that everyone wants, the ability to edit their tweets. People are are finding other alternatives. And um, you've got the, as as far as I know, Mastodon tends to be the quite left-leaning people. And then you've got a thing called Gab, which is um, the alt-right Pepe Trump people. Um, uh, Because Twitter recently kicked off a load of people who they deemed to be too far right or whatever, and um, Gab prides itself, and Gab prides itself on being this um, free speech platform, or whatever. That, that I haven't heard of that one to... either. But... I haven't yeah, heard of that Gab one either, AI. But okay. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. I'm afraid. I did hear about a few, one or two things that were going to kill off IRC on the other hand, or possibly I mean, what they're called now. But yeah, I don't know. Well, Mastodon is. Has... Sorry, Joe. Um, I, I don't know. Mastodon is sort of a special place for me. It became not what GNU Social was because nobody was on GNU Social, so it was kind of hard. There was like four or five of us that were on a server. But Mastodon, there's enough engagement to where it's fun, and it's a nice replacement for <laughs> Google+, Plus because nobody liked Google+. And so it, it's sort of that nice mid-space, and I kind of don't want it to become popular because it's... Our thing. That's not a very good noise, is it? I think uh, he's trying to uh, do my. I think he's trying to do my challenge, and I would say that uh, that was a step in the <laughs> right direction for that. <laughs> That's where if that's good noise uh, or not, that's a debate in itself. Well, it's uh, I say that's been muted now. That uh, it wasn't one person, I don't think. But anyway, um, uh, it's funny you mentioned Google Plus there. When when I spoke to my friend Ike about um, uh, Mastodon, he said that it's not a Twitter replacement. It is very much a, a Google Plus replacement because people are terrified that Google is going to pull the plug on Google Plus well, well, um, for good reason, as they pulled the plug on many of their other free products. So it, uh, it's people kind of using that as a hedge against that. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Hang on a second. Two, two points here, two things. Uh, yeah, Google Plus, I mean, yeah, okay, technical people knew about it and stuff like that. Why did, why, why did that not take off? Also, Mutant Casper, that's a shame, really. So... You've got to look at this in terms of what's the incentive to change. If you've got, um, on, on, in terms of operating systems, 
if your Windows works, you've got used to all the quirks, you've got used to all the just the little things that it does, the things things that you've got to put up with, you just you just get used to it, it's what it is. Then switching over to Linux, where's the plus? What what does it gain you? Um you're going to um you know, if you're changing software, what does it gain you to do such and such? You know, what does it what does it gain you? And the less you've got to actually gain, the less you're gonna do it. And if you're talking about moving from some other platform to all join Twitter or whatever. Like who's there? If if the the influencers are there, the people in the tech world, the people in the fashion world, the people in the music world, the the promoters, the the entertainers, the the actors, the directors, if all that, if they're all on this platform, then that's the platform you're going to go on to. It's the te- how it's done is is irrelevant. Whether it's proprietary or open source is irrelevant. Whether it's federated, it's irrelevant. That's what gets people using it. Because if the people aren't there, then they're not going to get, there's no incentive for anyone else to go there other than just to talk to the same like minded people. Well, you're talking about the network effect, aren't you? Yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, the analogy I would say with that is if you've got like five cell phone companies, but they're not compatible with each other, if all your mates are on one uh, provider, that, that makes no sense for you whatsoever to go on a different provider. Because that's not where your mates are. If they're not compatible, you can't co- you can't talk to them. So you're as well going with the flock than against it. Um, and go, good or bad, whether that's whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is irrelevant. You go with wherever the flock is. Hence, why everyone is still on Twitter and Facebook, and to a lesser extent, Google Plus. Because even with Google Plus, you can talk about it as a minority service, but there are still hundreds of thousands if not millions of people using it exactly exactly so you're talking about all these merits of all these different things um and until you're until you're doing that then you know it's that that's that's the reality who was it who was just saying that they are a regular user of um mastodon sorry i'm on my phone so i can't see exactly who's talking all the time it was Taj. it's me Okay, well, my experience of Mastodon was quite brief. And what I experienced there was, um, well, whatever the opposite of people who uh, have Pepe as their avatar, put it that way, people who are um, into, I suppose you might say, alternative lifestyles. And, um, you know, I don't want to get too political, but... um, Things that would be, I suppose, some people would say on the left or whatever, but sort of quite extreme examples of that kind of thing. And to me, that turned me off it because although I'm I'm all about live and let live, you know, I'm I'm not going to criticize anyone for anything they want to do with consenting adults or whatever. But I, I'm not particularly interested in hearing about that kind of stuff. And and that's that was my brief experience of it. Whereas I find that with Twitter, um, you sort of get what you uh what what you want there there are loads of nutters on either side of the political spectrum and then there's quite sensible people in the middle like me and um maybe I, it was the particular server that i joined or whatever but like it, it immediately put me off well is that is that not more about um well you're saying you can you, you pick and choose what you get from the platform by who you follow and what what different things you you do it's, it's you that dictates that, and you get kind of things that it thinks it's relative, relevant to you. That's is that not just saying that Twitter and Facebook have got their algorithms and their filtering system figured out, 
whereas um, Mastodon hasn't. And it's not, maybe not well, I don't know if it necessarily comes down to, to algorithms and filters and everything. I think it simply comes down to the kind of person who is going to be drawn to those platforms. If you're going to be a sort of relatively normal, for want of a better word, person who's sort of politically relatively central and perhaps a little bit left-leaning or perhaps a bit, little bit right-leaning, I mean, I'm quite left-leaning as it goes, um, but like if you're relatively central, then you're going to be drawn to the sort of mainstream platforms. Whereas if you are politically or if your lifestyle is a little bit on the edge of um normality again for want of a better word then you're sort of going to be drawn to these alternative um platforms and gab i used as the the prime example of the kind of platform that i steer well clear of i signed up to it not knowing what it was and quickly discovered that it was for um pepe types um but then you know what i'm saying is like if you if you get banned from twitter for being extreme then maybe you deserve it i don't know i mean like that's probably a controversial thing to say and there's some people who have been banned from twitter without deserving it but generally speaking if you if you're extreme on any of those extremes then um maybe you uh maybe i don't want to hear from you put it that way but um, another thing, as for this um, censorship debate, I mean, I know this hasn't come up here yet, but this that sort of follows on um, naturally from that, that people complain that, I, that Twitter are banning people and how dare they, they're censoring people. But then you think to yourself, well, hang on a second. This isn't the government telling you you can't speak in public or whatever. This is a private company who has a service which is free to use. And if the, whoever owns that company decides that they don't want you to use it, then that's their choice. It's like if, if uh, someone running a pub or a restaurant doesn't want you to come in there anymore, um, yeah, even if that is something um, as controversial as no blacks, no Irish, if they decide that they don't want black people or Irish people to come in there, then I believe that they should have the right to do that. And we, as decent people, should have the right to say, well, I'm neither black nor Irish, but I'm certainly not going to spend any money with you because I don't agree with you politically. And, you know, so it's it's that same thing with Twitter. If they want to ban people, then they should be allowed to do so. But that comes back to these the, the alternatives that, that people who do get banned, uh, who sort of are forced to the edges of things. On a, as far as I can see, on one side, on the left, you've got Mastodon, and on the right, you've got Gab. And I just personally have no interest in either of those extremes because I never say anything that is going to get me banned from Twitter. See, I know we're, here, uh, we're, sorry, we're, I, we're, going, we're going back around, sorry, give me a second here, but we're, we're going back around to the, the better filtering, though, because if you imagine however many millions of people are on Twitter, if they, if there was no way that they could twi- that they could filter different things and different interests and pick like-minded people, if everyone got the same feed, there's no no way it would have grown to what it is. There's no because exactly you you make Twitter what you want by picking and choosing the filter to show the content and the types of content you want to interact with. You know, but that comes I, I... from a huge huge user base. Okay, I hate to uh, interrupt, but we just passed another time zone at the 0330 UTC. We'd like to welcome Newfoundland 
and Labrador, Canada, St. John's, Conception Bay South, Cornerbrook, and Gander. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, eh? Yeah. Yeah, Happy New Year. These half an hour time zones are quite uh, interesting in a way. Uh, I think there's one in India as well. But anyway, I, I, know, I know this is all about social, was referring to social networks, obviously. And, but, um, I just, I was just thinking, politics, central, left wing, right wing, ethics, all this stuff. Um, maybe that's, you know, maybe normality in this context. It would sort of be like, you know, going to Windows, using Windows, because that's what most people do. And they really think about it. And because we're all different, we go and use Linux. And then some people who are a bit more whatever, they go and use a Mac. Um, so I hope my point is sort of <laughs> coming across, but yeah, I just I well, know. your point does it is is valid, but um, can I extend that and try and be a little bit more controversial? And um, uh, there are two types of open source licenses. You've got the um, permissive licenses, like your BSDs and MITs and everything, and then of course you've got your copyleft, your GPL. And um, a friend of mine, Paddy, he he put forward the argument that um, people who are into the uh, BSD type licenses tend to be more sort of libertarian, whereas the people who are more into the GPL tend to be more authoritarian, sort of um, left-leaning authoritarian as opposed to, I suppose, right to some extent. But um, do you know what I mean? Like the libertarian versus authoritarian divide. I think I, know uh, what I, you I mean, suppose a better way a better way to say this, sorry, is is sort of um, uh, populist versus globalist um, th- that divide rather than left and right. I don't really like that divide because I think there's people in both camps on um, on either side. But you've got your populists yeah. um, and and your globalists, and your globalists tend to be more GPL, and your populists tend to be more BSD. Well, I think I think I think with licenses, I, I mean, obviously the DPL is is great and all that, but obviously, you know, obviously, but you could put obviously Richard Stallman, you could put on the stream end of this because he's totally everything's going to be free software, it's going to be on the DPL, but that's kind of the exception to that in a way. But but yeah, that, that's more about I guess more about the ethics and the morals and the whole software freedom thing in that context, obviously, in an open source. It also has a, a, a few licenses, Apache, BSD. That's a bit more the other side to that in this context, I suppose. Sorry, I killed the conversation there, didn't I, with all my political nonsense? No, I, I think we're talking about, we're trying to sort of say which <laughs> which license or which kind of group each one would sort of go under, and then it depends a little bit, but yeah. All right. Well, let's let's have that license debate, shall we? Let's have permissive versus copyleft. Where do people stand on that? Well, I tell you where I stand is right in between the two of them. But the, the arms sort of spread as, hey, hey, guys, hey, come on, no, hey, no. But both broadly in the same. Come on, just shake hands. None of this fighting. Just, 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 just shake hands. All right. Well, put it this way: if you produced software i don't know if you do or not i don't know anything about you but say you wrote some software would you be looking to release it under um well of the three a proprietary license a a gpl license or a permissive license the gpl and uh uh, my 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 first instinct would be gpl um and i would need to look more beyond that closer to time 
that my instinct would be GPL, and I think the reason for that is because I chose Linux, and Linux is broadly GPL. Um, that's what I go with. A lot of the stuff that's on Linux is GPL, so that's where where all of my sort of computing experience comes from is GPL. So it's only natural that if I create anything, that I'm flowing into that 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 river basically. I I I think I'm similar to Gordon here, and I'm not really a programmer, but but yeah, I mean I mean GPL is about the f- the full freedoms. I I I know some people think he's crazy and all the rest of it, but actually. I've, I, I, if I read a GNU.org philosophy section, you know, I, I do agree, or to the most extent, with Richard Stallman's articles on, on, on this website, you know. And I did it at a young age as well, and I do to this day. So, I don't agree with them 100% that, like, all software should be completely free software, absolutely everything, but all the general software I, I, I think ideally should be, including computer games. Of course, it's not because of the whole society, capitalism, and all the rest of it, like we were talking about earlier, I believe. But um, I know, I, but I, I also know that that I mean, I did do a talk. I mean, I saw Richard Stallman talk actually three years ago at Bath University, or twenty thirteen, whatever that was. And I remember a guy came up to him afterwards and asked a question like, um, "I'm I do software, but I actually release my code under the BSD license." Am I? And he sort of said to him. Am I sort of like, am I bad for doing this? Is it, is it wrong for me to do that? And of course he was a bit like, ideally you should pull it under the GPL. However, um, I think, you know, it's better than it being closed source. But I know that the licenses vary a little bit about the, the rights and what can and can't be done. And so it depends a little bit on the program and what purpose it's going to have because certain programs generally are better off under the Apache license or the BSD license because of certain reasons. But I do generally think that probably, mo- regardless of that, that actually most software should be under under the actual GPL. Well, the difference is, do you, do you want to restrict people's freedom or do you want them to be completely free to do whatever they want with the code that you've produced? If you want uh, to restrict their freedom to make it proprietary, the, the fifth freedom, then... Um, by all means, make it GPL. But if you want it to be completely free, if you want to put software out there and say to someone, you can do whatever you want with this, you are free, completely free. You're free to do amazing things with it and you're free to do bad things with it because it is totally free. Then you use a a permissive license like BSD or Apache or MIT or whatever. Whereas if you want to say, well, hang on, you're free to do what you want with it to an extent, but I'm going to restrict a little bit of that freedom to do bad things with it and make it proprietary. Uh, you, you've got to keep it free, and you're restricted in that way. Then it makes sense to use a, a GPL license. You know, this this reminds me of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when the philosophers come in. We demand our uh, rigid structures between our, our levels of disbelief. Um, but uh, no, damn it, I forgot what I was going to say again. That's the the wonders of weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah there was a license that. Um, if I remember correctly, again, I'm not a programmer, but you know, I believe, yeah, I think it's BSD or Patch, maybe even both of them, where it basically says, okay, this is open source code. However, you, you can actually use some of this code in, in proprietary software if you, if you cho- choose to. Uh, and of course, that's what the GPL is very much so against, where well, yeah, more relaxed licenses aren't. Yeah, it's essentially, um, 
with GPL, you've got to produce the changes back, whether they'll accept it or not. So if you're turning it proprietary, if you're doing something that makes it incompatible or whatever, you're breaking the GPL if you don't release those changes back. Um, whereas the, the BSD, you can take it and make it proprietary. You can do whatever you want. You can change it whatever way you want. Don't need to let anyone know of anything. You can turn it proprietary. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. So it is a genuinely more free license. Um, but um, but yeah, so on a, a slightly side point, does anyone know offhand? Because I've started getting into app development. Is it possible? And I, I, I would prefer open source. I'd prefer GPL, something like that. But does anyone know offhand if if you can release software in the, the, the App Store and Apple and in the Play Store um, with Google as open source software? Is that possible? I'm not sure quite, but I believe that, that, that to get an actual app into the App Store on Apple, you have to actually pay to get it in there. Whereas obviously Google well, Play, I think you just get it added in or get it accepted through the process. Okay, well, the, the Google Play Store is far easier to get applications into. Um, they, uh, As long as it passes certain tests, as long as it's not obviously malware or whatever, it can get in there. In fact, even some malware s- sneaks in quite easily. So you've got no problem at all there. With the Apple App Store, I know, uh, or at least I think uh, last time I looked into this, GPL, copyleft software, is explicitly banned from the Apple App Store. I'm not sure about permissively licensed stuff like BSD or whatever, um, MIT, Apache. I'm not sure I think that's okay. But uh, last I heard, GPL software was explicitly banned from the App Store. So that kind of sucks, really. But there's plenty of uh, proper free software in the... um, in the Play Store, because I've like AntennaPod, for example, is a podcast player that I use, and that's in F Droid as well. And yeah. uh, the, and uh, <laughs> what's one subject of app stores? Uh, the Windows App Store, I believe, actually, basically, I was reading something about how Google Chrome got in there recently, but then it like bypassed the Microsoft thing, and apparently they're only accepting browsers in the, that actually use the Internet Explorer rendering engine. So. That doesn't include Google Chrome, and then they removed it. But they found like a clever way to get it in there, or get a downloader for it in there, whatever it was. And <laughs> yeah, and then Apple don't allow certain browsers in there as well, I think, as well. Aye, right, so uh, the that's what I'll need to look into then. In that case, um, it's not going to be GPL. I want to be able to do cross-platform stuff. At the moment, I've started learning. I've got a Mac or a MacBook Pro. Um, for writing and well, I'm now going to start using it for development as well. Um, I've got an iPhone rather than, than Android, um, primarily because of the, the ASD thing. It was like it's an easier, it's more locked down, which I used to th- see as a bad thing, but now I'm seeing as a good thing because you've got less options um, to distract you. Um, so you know that's my, the first platform I'm developing for. Is is iOS, um, and I do intend to put it on the on the store, but I want to make it some sort of a free software, some sort of an open source in some form. And now at uh, least I know GPL, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What 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 do you mean by less attractions for the uh, Apple thing? Uh, and also, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, iOS is well, it's the Apple way, and that's it. Yeah, there's less choice to do things, if that's what you mean as well. That's basically it. It's like Apple design a lot of their stuff. Um, 
I mean, I can use pretty much most of the Apple suite of programs on the i on the already installed on the, the iPhone. And there's only one way to do certain things. You, Apple have got a, a specific way they want you to do something, and you just learn how to do that. That, and you learn to live within those limits. And I used to think of that as a bad thing, but because when I'm when I'm faced with too many options, this is the ASD thing. When I'm faced with too many options. I tend not to use any, so at least I'm getting the use out of some of the things on an iPhone that I never would get the use out of on on an Android because it was just too many choices. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, choice can be confusing. I do remember how I was trying to set up a guy with um, a high functioning autism from Holland with Linux a few years, but uh, online as well, but. <laughs> we um got made some progress, but but yeah, all the choice would be confusing. But that's although it's not just ASD; it, it's people in general uh, that can Does have. I mean, I have choices, an ASD cousin choices. over here. So that was it. Yeah, um, I I was diagnosed with ASD just about less than a week ago now. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, when I was researching it, I put it down to the, the Asperger's range, or the Asperger's kind of part of the spectrum. But yes, yeah, it's, it's been confirmed as of the start, in the middle of December. Yes, we got back on this talk. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, ASD is seen as a bad thing, but it's not. And we had that. And also, what I didn't say earlier, actually, which is I should have put, maybe said actually, well, I'll say it now, is actually some people with these things apparently have um, special abilities. So, like, somebody could, for example, go out on the street and then go and paint what they saw, basically, like a street painting from, from memory, picture memory. There was somebody who could actually read the credits at the end of the film and remember every single line that I heard about, and there's various things like this. Um, most people don't have a special ability as such, I guess, or maybe they do, but I don't quite know what it is, but but yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in fairness, um, that I've got that as well. I can really focus in on something. Um, any kind of brainstorming, I can usually see like, multiple layers ahead of where a change would be, I can see like the big picture uh, and various sort of changes like that, and that's in between that those points. I'm just using the force, you know. Right, yeah, and and I missed the beginning of the other chat, but why did it take so long to get diagnosed with that? Why so long? Because you, yeah. What me? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're obviously a bit older now and so on. So, why oh, did it right, take so, so long to get diagnosed with that? That's a good question. That's a really good question, and that's the only question that that's been consuming me since I've discovered this. Like, I'm I'll be forty five just very shortly, um, and I was like, why Why did it take me until I was forty four? Like forty four. That's there's plenty of people don't live that long. Why did it take me until forty four to to finally figure this out? And I don't know. And it was just random chance that I happened to read uh, an article about. Um, some guy coming to terms with finding out he's autistic in, in middle age. And for some reason, I was reading that and I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. And I went down the path of um, autism and then, then Asperger's and whatever. And then, you know, Alison, the, the, the whole, basically, that's where I am. But, um, you know, I don't know. May I, uh, as an experienced Aspie 
who was diagnosed very late 2003, uh, in my 40s. I can explain some of it. I, <laughs> okay, I've got a little confession then, because we're on the subject again, why not? Um, because I was doing a general, in general, general, uh, but actually I got diagnosed as having apparently some of that as well, but at quite a young age. But the thing is, this label has been a mostly bad label or something that I've not been, you know, it's not really been a very good thing, unless you like claiming benefits or something like that, then it, these things can actually work for your advantage, although... It's a bit, it can be harder these days because you can have all these medical reports and it's not good enough because loads of people go and say, hey, I've got depression or I've got this or I've got that. And then you use some professional and they get that, some, some report and then, you know, so you have to do things. You have to play the game sometimes. But, um, but, but a lot of people are on the spectrum, at least, at least to some extent. Uh, well, hang on. They, um, a lot of people don't realize that. Well, hang on. Necessarily, literally every single person in the world is on the spectrum somewhere. That is the the definition of a spectrum. On one end, you've got people who can barely function at all because they are so severely autistic. Um, for example, someone I know, extended family, who is um, in his mid twenties, but he is as the mind of uh, a sort of five or six year old. Um, and so you've got that people on one end and then on the other end, you've got, I don't know, cheerleaders or whatever, these supremely confident people and necessarily everybody is on the spectrum. And most people are towards the center of the spectrum, but then people who are autistic or Asperger's or whatever you want to call it are towards one end of the spectrum. So it's funny that people often say, oh, that person's on the spectrum. And that's a meaningless thing to say because everybody is somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's sort of what I'm saying, at least to some extent. People have at least some Aspie traits if they realise it or not. And, and um, but yeah, but then there's all this labelling and it can be seen as a bad thing. If especially without certain research done about the subject, uh, varying on person, the context, and all the rest of it. And, but probably a lot of the technical people, as I said earlier, are on the autistic spectrum, at least to some extent. And also, I want to say, you were talking about confident people, like cheerleaders is your example, but, I mean, we've got extroverts and introverts, I guess, and most of us are probably introverts because we are, you know, more technical, we're more logical in certain ways, we're probably quite introverted most of us and we're not the kind of people who are going to be doing those drama probably for example theatre being out on stage like that you know that kind of stuff we may do public speaking but that's different um i'm talking about you know not like theatre and stuff like that some some of us probably do but if you, you see what i'm saying well i i personally do i there's an event that i organize in london uh, for the last couple of years, and I'm hoping to do one in 2018 called Foss Talk Live, where we do live podcasts. Um, and I'm fine to stand up on that stage, well, sit down on the stage anyway, and uh, talk in front of people. But that doesn't mean that I'm not um, towards the yeah. autistic end of the spectrum. There's, there's a, a person I know very, very well, and I've known him for a very long time. And he, in the last 10 years, has qualified as a GP, general practitioner, so mm. he's, it's not his area of expertise, but he is convinced that I am pretty far along the autistic spectrum. Um, it, you know, he basically thinks that I am 
I show a lot of autistic tra- uh, traits, but at the same time, I can get up, uh, I can play guitar in front of people. And and the thing is that, like, I, I do have pretty crippling social anxiety when it comes to new situations. Alcohol is a brilliant um, drug for that, as far as I'm concerned. But also, like, you have to force yourself into situations. And, like, it sort of goes almost to a polar opposite where before I go into a situation where I'm on stage or whatever, I am crippled with anxiety about that. But the second I get on stage, I just have no choice but to get on with it. And either you shrink, freeze and, and run off stage or you just get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do, like I was saying, you can do public speaking and things like that. Like do public speaking groups, uh, Toastmasters. I'll have a go at that in Brussels. I'm going to Fosdem. I want to go to some groups over there. What's the matter? It's coming, that's coming up in a few weeks then. Um, but, but I was thinking, I was saying sort of introvert, extrovert. Why I grew up, there's a lot of amateur drama groups. Now, obviously, certain people here will have all Aspie traits as well who are in these kind of drama groups. But I think, generally speaking, a lot of these people are probably not <laughs> really autistic or not that autistic because it's, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, which was what I meant earlier as my, uh, thing as well. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, it's almost 4am in the in London, the UK, and I ought to go to bed. Uh, but I need to plug some things first. Sorry for the uh, advert, but I have to plug my two podcasts. So if you want to hear that, this is not necessarily for people here now, but for, I don't know how many people listen to this after it's released, but check out latenightlinux.com for uh, a kind of much swearier version of this. And if you want kind of safer work version of it, check out um, linuxactionnews.com. Uh, I have to plug my things. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's fine. That's what HBR is about as well, to some extent. And uh, yes, it's uh, <laughs> getting late here in the UK, but that's not bothering me right now. And I don't know about Gordon, but you, you need to get some sleep, it sounds like. So yeah, yeah, nice chatting to you and uh, Happy New Year, isn't it? Yeah, happy new year, guys. I'd like to stay longer, and I'd very much like to stay up all night. Uh, but unfortunately, I've got to be at work on Tuesday, so it's about time I went to bed. So, yeah, nice chatting to you all, and uh, yeah, speak to you again sometime. Auf Wiedersehen! Also, tschüss. Auf Wiederhören. Right. Right, so, <laughs> continuing that subject, I suppose. But, um, I mean, uh, it sounds to me like you're a bit shocked, Gordon. It's a little bit that you've been diagnosed now or found out, and it's like, oh, you've got this, you've got that. Or, or am I misunderstanding? Because we're on the podcast at the end of the day, aren't we? It's more, right, what I've seen is there's different types, different camps of reaction. There's one like, oh, no, I've not got it. It can't be right. I can't, just, just denial. Another point of um, what I have, and it's the end of the world. Or, for me, I'm... I'm sort of relieved because it explains so much. The problem is, for the last four through five months, my brain's been thinking back so many different little things and incidents and things that have happened and that all of a sudden I've got a new angle on. And it's like, ah, that explains it. That explains this. And it's just coming to terms with all these kind of ripple effects that have brought me to where I am just now. That's what I'm shocked about. Like, how is it taking so long for anyone to pick up on this? Um, 
And even just to suggest, you might want to, to sort of look into this and see, because as soon as I did come across it, I started, I did two online tests, both different, and I scored highly in both, and I'm like, you know what, that can't be just coincidence. Um, then I started reading more, and then thought, you know what, all of this sounds about right, I think I need a professional verification of this, and I, I got it, but it took me two, two appointments over a couple of months, but I got it, and it was right all along. Right, okay. But, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah, it happens, people get diagnosed later on as well, or, or, or people suspect it, what can happen as well is people have a good, you know, a good 20 years possibly even expecting that they have autism or some mass traits or whatever, or possibly other things, maybe ADHD or, or any, these other things possibly as well or instead. But either way, you know, a good 20 years of or so suspecting that they have something and then living with that and then, and then one day sort of being like, right, I need to really find out or let's do whatever, let's get diagnosed and it happens. But no, um, no, that's that's a bit different though. What the, the kind of I, thing? I know, I know that's different. I know that's different. But I'm saying that can happen as well. So, but I know you're saying you're more like you had no idea, and then you suddenly found out, or thought you had this and that, and then you looked, looked found that about Asperger's, or and then you went and got diagnosed. Well, what the what the way that that you you'd, you're describing that there. Um, is the idea that you're aware something isn't right, and then when you do see what it is, you realise it and recognise, oh, that's what it is. Whereas, um, for me, it's been the other way around than that. It's for all my life, I wasn't even aware that there was this extra thing until um, until I found out about Asperger's and about autism, and I realised like that that pretty much that's all these different articles about Asperger's, that, that pretty much describes me. So many of the things there I have to at least some degree, like it, there's, that's too much a coincidence. That can't be right. And they're worded differently. They're in different orders. They're whatever. Yeah, the yeah, the yeah, tests are slightly different, but it amounts to the same thing. And I'm looking down the list and I've got, yeah, I've got that. Yeah, and I do that. I and I do that. And I do that. Oh, I don't do, oh, actually, I, I do do that. And it's, it's just so much fits. So, so much fits. And I think the big difference here is whether you think that this is a good thing or a bad thing. Is if I, I, know, I knew, I've known since, since, a, since a, August, September-ish when I started looking into it, I knew I had Asperger's. The difference is I, I think this is, I think knowing about it is a good thing. I don't think it in itself is a good or a bad thing. I think the fact that I now know about it means that I now can adapt my environment. I can take advantage and play to my strengths now. I now know what battles I'm never going to win, so there's no point in me trying to fight. Um, so I know myself better than a lot of people know themselves. Um, so all it was for me was a confirmation of I can then go back to my employer and if it comes down to needing a wee bit of kind of legal clout to make some minor adjustment actually, to my work yeah, yeah, environment, actually, that's yeah, that's, actually, that's yeah, where yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. It. Actually, you have a point there. Come to think of it, um, actually, Asperger's and autism will will go under disability, generally speaking, as well of some sort. So, yeah, in the case of an employer, you should be able to go back and be like, "Oh, you know what? I've got aut- I've got autism, so I need you to um, ideally do these few adjustments for me because, yeah." Yeah, and what they've done 
without the official diagnosis, is pretty decent. Um, it's just the the big difference is when it gets when it's official. Um, when it gets official, um, it means that uh, that all the people in support positions are aware of it. So I don't need to keep keep explaining each time. That's the big difference, and that's now four o'clock has just passed again. Yeah, some more time in back on it. Uh, I said disability, but I mean. The thing here as well is actually people with autism, with, I mean, I mentioned special interests earlier and things, so it varies by person what they what they say is that somebody with autism has a specific interest that they are the most interested in and maybe dedicate their life to or something. You say Richard yeah, Salman has yeah, one with his free yeah. software stuff that he does, but it's not just him, but, but yeah, computers, Linux, whatever it is. And then yeah, usually these people are very focused on that interest and are very clever when it comes to that specific thing as well. Very intelligent, very well, clever. That, that is, that's just hyper-focus. That's just looking at something, whatever, if it interests you, if it mentally interests you, like I've found I can see so many kind of knock-on effects, right? If we change this and then if we do this like this and then line this up here and then actually if we move this a bit behind here and then we'll do this. And I can see all the ripple effects of all these changes. And that's something that a lot of people are just like baffled at. How, how can you possibly see that, get that conclusion from, from this set of circumstances? And I'll lay it out all out backwards. And I'm like, how the, how the hell can you see that? How, how can you possibly see that? They can't argue with the logic, but they're like, why, how, like how? I, I can do that. It's like, it is a hyper focus thing. Where if I'm really interested in something, then I'm going to go all out on it um, to learn every aspect of it that I can. Yeah, yeah, and that's what as Aspies generally speaking do. Or apparently, I mean, yeah, if there's something you're really, really interested in, then as an Aspie, you can probably focus on it and and hours and hours and hours non-stop or hardly any breaks as well. And that's something that. People who are the other one is called neurotypical. I hope you did look up, found that, find that about I did, that. Yeah. Whatsoever. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neurotypical, average people, neurotypical, NNT, not whatever it's called. You're right. They can't focus on or they, on something for so long usually because it's just it's just not like that. And that's what somebody said here earlier that in the case of say programming or some of this computer technical stuff, it's very logical, very focused. And you spend a lot of time doing it. As well, that's yeah. Essentially, techy kind of stuff is is well suited to that that sort of way of thinking. May I uh, tell you how I found about my Ashburgers? Yeah, right, go for it. Well, first, there's two halves. One, when I was a late teen, a friend of mine who studies body language and was very clever about using it said, "Your body language is off the wall." And you can't be transmitting non-verbally what, what your body is saying. So some years later, I lost my job and I was living with my mother who was driving me crazy because if I'd gotten a job, I could have moved out and she would have lost her house staff. Well, after a while, I go into, uh, the handicapped, uh, branch of our government to see what What's going on with my nerves? They test me out in in a couple of three three day evaluation and then a couple of extra interviews, and I find out that I have Asperger's. 
and the body language stuff and some of the hyper focus and the in you know all handful of things uh turned out to be the the reason you know a lot of things were going on it also means because i am now on disability i have a house when when my mother would have gone into nursing home i would have been on the street so i can hang on a little longer here uh, as long as my disability and i can support the house uh one thing that also even when i'm dealing with a counselor i find in social situations i run basically a chest type search and sometimes i can find um failure modes by using you know a broad search and while i'm thinking about this stuff my counselor is saying well you're shutting down and i'm not i'm just just like between moves because dealing with a neurotypical especially a neurotypical which has a program i have to see if i can create an interface if at all possible an honest interface also aspies like stability and i was raised in a very chaotic alcoholic household that's part of the reason i have post-traumatic stress uh but also, my logic has been shop-ridden in a very combative environment, and sometimes it's hard for my support people to understand that I am coming from a very different point of view, a very sharp-end point of view. So, uh, just uh, what was that about getting a house because of the, uh, the Asperger's, or whatever you were saying? Well... Because I'm on disability, I was under disability protection. If I'd just been an unemployed guy with neurotypical, I would have been on the street. Uh, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, in the UK, it's, uh, well, it depends a bit, I suppose, on what county you're in to some extent, because some counties have more money for this than others, but um, sported living places are becoming more of a thing in certain places, and... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, where, you, where you can get, like, a flat and then you got people, you've got an office there as well and stuff, 24 hours, if you need somebody, get your one-to-one support people in and things like this. And so it's not just a council flat, but you actually have support uh, in the place itself, um, But it's, uh, which is good, good, but certain places don't really have enough money for that still, councils, local councils. Uh, which is a shame because it's like, like I mean, especially in certain cities that I would default, like in even in Bristol and places like this, a lot of homeless still. On top of that, but yeah, if, like learning difficulties, um, autism, or possibly other things, mental health, and all the rest of it. And and something else I wanted to say earlier, or, or I've been meaning to say, is that um, something like autism, Asperger's, actually goes down as under the sort of mental health stuff. However. It's not really mental health. It's it's more like a different way of thinking and things like this. Um, but it but yeah, it's a bit different and so on. So it kind of goes under mental health, but it's not it's not really mental health. Well, it's our CPUs are wired differently. 
Although, although people with autism usually have something else that actually is mental health, be like OCD or ADHD or bipolar or, or any of these kind of things, anxiety uh, disorders, possibly all, all this kind of stuff. You see, with me, a lot of I don't pick up social cues. That's what, or that's what Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Natively. That's what Gordon said earlier about lacking social cues. And Gordon, are you still here, by the way? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, and that might carry on then. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the reasons why it isn't diagnosed. You're not, you don't necessarily rock and do the standard autism motions and stuff. Yeah, it's, a, it's an invisible thing. It's, it's something that um, that you, you know, isn't easily seen from the outside. Um, so if you look at someone with that, there's, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to tell. It's people that can fit in, generally speaking, with society. They, they've, they've got enough about them that they, they manage to mask. They manage to mask it by various things. But if you know what you're looking for, it does stand out a mile. Well, it's a difference. To, to, to be a crude analogy, it's the difference between being blind and being colorblind. Yeah, well, it's a hidden disability, really. These things. It's a thing you can't really see, or you can see if you know what you're looking out for. Like Gordon, you said. But it's not like somebody's in a wheelchair or or something like that. That's just you know right there in front of you, and you can't miss that. And it just, there are, but yeah, there are hidden disabilities. You can put autism under that. You can put OCD under that. You can put well, various things under that. It's not. It's not just. It's not specifically the fact that it's hidden. It's the fact that people don't know what to do with someone. How how how. The things that you wouldn't think of as as being like annoying or something um, can 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 unintentionally be incredibly annoying and and things like that. So you could be doing stuff without even being aware. Um, if you're talking to to someone like an Aspie, um, you're doing things you don't realise it. Um, it's just like you don't know how to deal with it. The person just looks absolutely normal. But yet, the, the brain is wired just that little bit different. Um, that it's almost like a time bomb, like a ticking time bomb or something, just waiting for an excuse to go off. Well, with me, especially growing up in a very combative household, I was kind of shut shut down. So I did I didn't have these open, friendly awareness. I had awareness, and I still do, but. Uh, at a very high level, but it's it's more of a tripwire, not not a social awareness. Also, I was raised as a '50s kid during the '60s, so that didn't help much. Uh, however, as an Ashby person, I was able to analyze what was going on around me, and it was sort of like stranger in a strange land. And in fact, part of my survival at home or in social situations was developing an adaptive personality so that I could adapt if I was with uh, motorcycle guys I could adapt there fish people with fish people people at MIT all different environments I had adapted to I would develop a overlay an emulation of a more normal person I I don't really like the well the, the word normal in the context. I know what you meant, but yeah, it's a bit you know it's a bit uh, 
Um, well, I, I, if you I, know the clever yeah, hand. You can say average person or neurotypical or whatever, but that because, I mean, I used to, I mean, I did study sociology at school for a bit, and one thing you learn there is that there's a term called norm, things that are generally seen as being normal. There's no such thing as normal, really, but, you know, but, yeah, but yeah, uh, well, neurotypical, average person, whatever. The problem here as well, and I think I was sort of saying it earlier, but when when you if you are different enough to the people who think they're all I'm going to use the word again there and the normal and all this if you are different not, enough not not, not to be confused you, you, with they see you badly they see you differently they they see you as being weird possibly they and all the rest of it yeah not not to be confused with Garfield's wee pal normal um it's not no him it's, it's specifically normal um no I. Yeah, yeah, it does matter. It's different, but um, I'm, I don't see I don't see any issue there at all. I think it's, it depends on how you want to look at it. And now I can now play to my strengths. Um, yeah, I don't know what I was meaning by that, but carry on. Well, one of the things that I learned in the sixties, being sent to school in short hair and sports shirts and polished shoes, while everybody else was going in jeans and sneakers and t-shirts is while they were open to folks who were doing their own thing, if it had a very narrow bandwidth, unless you were doing your own thing that looked like the, the thing of the guy next to you. Yeah, so they were open, but only to a point. And then stepping back into the 50s when I got home, because my folks were very small, small town, rural America raised, was a little difficult. But, you know, also... It was a very tense environment. It's one of the reasons why I believe my survival was supported largely by uh, the vacations I spent in the country where I was welcome, at the house where I was um, um, assigned by birth. It was made quite clear that that was not my home because I didn't have my name on the deed. Something I do right now, after both my parents have passed, of course. It's kind of funny that people, they tolerate weirdness as long as your weirdness fits into a specific subcategory. But the older I've gotten, the less I really cared. Like, if if I want to get weird, then I'm just going to get weird. Like, I don't really care what other people think about it. Yeah, yeah, I I think I agree with that, that, that they kind of set weird or different to an extent, especially if it's kind of funny or sort of thing, more so than whatever. But but I guess that's but yeah, I'm getting older. Oh well, you know, thirty now, <laughs> and I'm and I'm thinking like you know, that do, do I care so much about certain things now that that well, you know, they've been an issue over the years, or at least mentally, you know, things you think about, things that you're not really happy about. Like where, you, you know, where your where your life has gone or hasn't gone, you know the direction, things that have happened, and all the rest of it. Yeah, and, and, and then you, and then you also wonder, and then if it's like, do you care about what other people think of you, you as much or not? And that, and I guess it's but, generally true. The older you get, the less you care. Well, not always, but listen, listen to this. The old man, what was it, thirty? Old man, <laughs> I like it. Back in my day. <laughs> The old not man as, sitting as, on the mountaintop, all aged not, not, and thirty. 
not as old as uh, you, but Gordon, but uh, I said I'm guessing older. So, I mean, I, I am old according to uh, certain ages because it's like, oh, you're 30 now. <laughs> and then older people will be like, oh, 30, you're not that old. Um, I'm about but, twice your age, uh, youngster. And, I, I, know, I know we get and, got and, some like and I could add another 60 plus. I could add another 25 to that because of uh, I've survived 25 years more than I figured. Uh, see, there you go. I thought this was an old gentleman's uh, lodge at this moment in time. It's like a country club of old, older gentlemen. Most years older people here than 30, but so be it. Although, although I think we get a few younger ones on at times as well. Younger than me as well. <laughs> they're in lies your mission, should you accept it. What's my mission? Find someone young, younger than you to come in the, the Mumble Channel. I just turned 31, so not me. Uh, I don't mean okay. you with helium. Well, he's a similar age then. Very similar. Yeah, from what I know of the people in here, I would say the mean is about 30. Well, 30 people. I think it's mostly 40 plus that come on HPR, really. So, yeah, 40 to 60 to 70. I wonder if we've got any 70 year olds on here. I think we do get. I think there are some seven children sometimes, or that nearly that age, actually. Well, to quote Douglas Adams, I've spent quite a few years dead for tax purposes. Actually, with age, it's like, um, I mean, yeah, thirty. So, if you, you know, a lot of people who are say eleven years younger than me, they will think I'm I'm old now, and it's like it's only eleven years, but they will think I'm old. Obviously, older people who by five years and so on. Will think I'm not that old, and but that's what age is like, isn't it? I guess the older think, you get, the the less it matters when somebody's reasonably close to that age. I think you that think fifteen years, twenty years, ten years. No, I, I think there's there's like a threshold. It's the first your age, you don't really notice it, and then when you get to your sort of late thirties, early forties, that's when you look at people who are in the workplace that that could be your son, that could be your daughter. That's when you go through that that threshold of you are the parents' age, um, and then I think at that point it maybe lessens a bit, and then it gradually you get to that you overlap into that point at the grandparents' age. Um, but but at that time I think you probably arguably care less. Uh, it's just that initial sort of thing getting used to. It. Well, also I'm an old spinster because I took care of my family until they passed. Well, the survivor passed, and. I- I'm on my own for the first time at, you know, in my 50s uh, with a lot of, uh, well, a lot of stuff that I've had to deal with, leftovers from a combative youth or youth in combat. I wasn't that much of a fighter, more of a survivor. So it's interesting getting all those skills that most people get in their teens or 20s or maybe 30s this late in life. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly feel like I'm kind of starting again, uh, even to the point of um, a part of my, my 2018 plans is by the end of the year, I'll be living somewhere else. Uh, I don't know where, I don't know how yet, but I'll be living somewhere else. Uh, just as a, and, and when I do it, I'm going to be just leaving a lot of stuff, just putting a lot of stuff in the tip. Um, not taking that much with me at all, just sort of shedding the skin and going, you know. You can move in with me, buddy. 
Yes, moving to different places. I mean, I mean, it wasn't quite planned, but it ended up being so. And uh, I live in a different place now for about three months. Anyway, okay, it's only a few miles down the road from where I used to, where I was living with my most of my family, but still, and it's much more nearer the city. So this is great to get get into the Bristol and stuff. Nice flat. You talk about uh, seeing somebody and you say, oh, that person could be young enough to be my son or daughter. And then you think maybe granddaughter or you're telling a story and you're thinking, oh, man, that was 30 years ago. Wait a minute, 40 years ago? No, it was 45 years ago. Yeah, time time becomes elastic. No, if it was elastic, it would stretch back the other way. And... Uh... Which we get to actually there was some oh, I don't know they're working on something apparently where when you get to your sort of eighties you can possibly take some drugs and then you can have a much longer longer life with less pains or whatever. So and drugs? generally speaking, they say we're going to live past a hundred or a lot of people soon as well, which is a bit strange when you think about it because the world's much more polluted now and things like that. But still, I was I was doing my my father Jack thing with a drunk. <laughs> Come out of my super drugs. What? Yeah, yeah, yes, a super drug or or something. I think it was on the the news the other week. Some sort of story about this. I was going to say if you take those if you take those drugs earlier in life and uh, get addicted to them, you'll live a much shorter life, much much shorter than a hundred. Well, it depends on the drug, doesn't it? Howdy, y'all. Guten Tag. Gutten Morgen or Gutten Abend. I ain't jumping in the middle of anything going on, am I? Uh, not no, quite. Carry on. Just talking about living past a hundred, or <laughs> yeah. I I was interested to know if anyone did the Sands Holiday Hack Challenge this year. I don't even know what that is, but okay. <laughs> it's a uh, online CTF. I think it started December eighteenth, and it's going all the way to. January 10th, it's got a bunch of Linuxy stuff, capturing flags, looking for hashes and uh, submitting those for points. And uh, so they got the terminal challenges and then they have uh, exploiting actual systems. Not the sort of thing I do. I don't know. It's it's the first time I've ever done one of these types of challenges. And it was, I don't know, it it got me really interested in it because like one of the first challenges you do is uh, the... The exploit that Equifax got hit with, you're, well, you gotta use that same exploit on one of their servers. You gotta, they have an Apache strut server and you gotta upload that reverse shell to them to, uh, gain a foothold in that, in that system. What do you try to make it do? Well, uh, like they have a, a set of questions they want you to answer and they're all kind of Santa Claus related, you know, like, uh, once you're logged in, once you've got the reverse shell for this guy, you got to go find his uh, password somewhere on the system. And, you know, he's a he's a bad programmer because he just left his password hard coded into the website somewhere. You know, so you got to go track that down. And then like the next challenge is you got to find this document and, and find run a SHA-1 hash on it. And then you submit that for points and and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I take it you have a sort of a background in pen testing? I do not. This is uh, 
the first time I've actually ever done anything like that. I kind of been messing around with over the wire, which is another capture the flag type of thing where they kind of start off, you know, uh, th- this is what CD is, you know, what can you do with CD? And they kind of make you explore that stuff, you know, and then they say the file is in a file called readme. Well, how do you do that? How do you look at a file and, you know, in the command line, you know, so you learn cat and file and LS, you know, it kind of builds up to that, you know, the, the, the smaller stuff. This one is just definitely way, way beyond me. And it was a lot of fun learning all the, all the different te- techniques to get into these systems. Okay. Fifty, your audio was pretty broken up. How about now? That's much now better. I, thought, I kind of thought maybe that was even me breaking up. <laughs> but yeah, I posted the link in there. It's the holidayhackchallenge.com, and they do one every year. Uh, it's still not over yet. Uh, it goes on to uh, January 10th to give time because they have prizes for it. I, you know, some, a lot of people maybe never heard of Sands, but they're kind of the the peop, They're kind of like NIST. You know, they they put a lot of thought into uh, security and uh, how to prevent exploits from happening, and and they do a lot of documentation, and a lot of training, and if. Uh, they're kind of like the premier place for your certs if you're going to go for them. And so they're giving away one free class if you complete all of the challenges and you write a report of what you did throughout the entire thing. Like one of the, one of the challenges was the, uh, your shadow file the guy had remove the contents of shadow, but he happened to have a copy of shadow, but you're in a restricted shell. So you had to figure out how to, how to use the backup copy of shadow to with the same permission levels of the regular shadow file to, to be able to uh, make this, to actually run another program on the system that you're, that, you know, that's what they're trying to make you do is like run some simple binary that they wrote and uh, yeah, you know, figuring out how to do, you know, just basic kind of. I mean, it's. It, I think it's basic, but I don't know. I'm going to quickly jump in here and say uh, it's been fun, but I'm going to call it a night. Um, until next year, Abianto. Well, thanks for coming by, Gordon. It's always good to see you. Yeah. Uh, although uh, it sounded like you're going to disappear off all social stuff, or for the most part, for a year or whatever you were saying. Yeah. Um. Uh. I've got a Twitter account, but I rarely use it. I've just found that I got on much better without lots of distractions. Um, and that's a big part of that is just social stuff. So yeah, that's, that's kind of why I'm, I'm sort of cutting out a lot of that. Although that's slightly aspies, <laughs> maybe cut all the social stuff out off, even though it's online. But, um, but yeah, but yeah, you can get on with other stuff. But yeah, look after yourself, I guess, or whatever. I shall indeed do whatever. Um, out of those three choices, whatever sounds like a good job, good option to go for. Stay <laughs> golden, pony boy, and happy new year. Gracias, and the same as well. And uh, right, I'll see you guys later. Have fun. Happy new year, Gordon. Uh, enjoyed ta- listening to you and Joe talk about the guitars. I don't, not that I know anything about guitars, but y'all seem to enjoy it a lot. Well, you know more than you did earlier on.
Well, having said that, you were exposed to more than you did earlier on. Probably don't, rem don't remember any of it. I don't blame you. Anyway, I'm out of here. See you guys. Good night. Okay, so is everybody else left here on here at the moment for America then? Except for me. I'm in Texas. That's the one thing with HPL. It's very American for the most part, which uh, <laughs> is is a good and bad thing, I suppose, depending on how it's looked at. Well, we do try to be international, but it all depends on who comes along and participates. I mean, we we have hosts from around the globe. Well, well yeah. And, uh, well, New York will be in the new year soon, by looks of the clock. Not new uh, year. 50. My new year would be incomplete without hearing your voice. I've been lurking here for a while. It's just uh, last couple conversations I didn't have a whole lot to add to it. But thank you for saying that, Miner. Uh, Ashby's are unsubtle. You'll, you'll probably have picked that up from our broadcast. Well, it's a quarter till 11 here in uh, Texas, and my dog is curled up next to my feet because she's afraid of firecrackers, and the people who don't think they can stay up till midnight and shoot their rockets off have already started popping them, uh, even though there's really good fireworks displays available for free, these people have to pop them in the neighborhood where, of course, it's illegal to do, but uh, they like to disturb the neighbors or something. Well, just be glad it's only fireworks. Well, a couple of times I found burned-out rockets in my rain gutters uh, from uh, neighbors shooting them off, and they land on your roof. I guess they could catch your house on fire, right? I know they'll catch a wheat field on fire for sure in in, uh, in uh, uh, July. Oh, I guess I'm lucky it's not July. See what I'm now, gonna Mr. Do Worley, can you? I was going to say, Mr. Worley, can you even tell the automatic weapons fire in your neighborhood? Well, see, in my neighborhood, we we just skip the middleman. We don't fire guns into the air. We just shoot each other's houses. You know, that way, one, you don't lose the bullets, and two. You don't have to worry about them going up and actually hitting, you know, like a kid or someone's car. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I think we have one last contributions to the to the show notes in the right slot. Fifty-one fifty. About uh, every second or third time you broadcast, uh, can't understand the thing you say. Okay, let me go reset my internet. See if that does me a bit of good. In New Year's Eve 1970, I was in Vietnam, and um, about 10 minutes or so before midnight, they grounded all aircraft. All the helicopters and airplanes and everything had to be on the ground because four or five minutes before midnight, seemed like pretty much everybody in the country that had a weapon got out and started shooting, and none of us had blanks. Sir, may I Actually, thank you for your service? <laughs> if you could call it that, <laughs> it's, but it sure was pretty. There was a lot of tracers and uh, flares and things like that, things like that. Well, I need to stay inside for a moment. Uh, right, I'm still here. Right, I'm still uh, here. Uh, test. Uh, copied me or something. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, anybody got a good? Anybody chat got a good chat subject? subject?
Does anyone hear the echo? Who the echo? Is it just me? I've got an echo. It's really good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. What, an echo from my from when I'm talking. Oh, yeah, good. I hear it too. Okay, I don't know what I don't know why I've got that then. Is it gone now? I think it's gone now actually. Weird. Well anyway, I can still be heard now, yeah? Can I be heard at the moment? Yes. Okay, the echo's gone. Weird, I don't know what caused that. A couple of weeks ago. Couple of weeks ago I had some... Sorry folks, I don't Sorry, know folks, I don't know Casper, are you around? No. Is this a better? What, your headset? Is that your headset or? And it's gone totally quiet. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I went to reset my router because I lost my internet connection. Well, a neighbor had pulled down my phone lines and cable and stuff. Evidently, they were hanging too low for his taste. I think that makes it your fault. Well, the neighbor had decided to take back some property that had been abandoned to the house for 50 years, so, yeah, but he could have told me, you know, that the wires needed moving or something, but this guy put a fence up the center of my driveway because that's where the property line is from World War One. Hey, we'd have fought a war for that stuff. Well, most states, if the property line's been undisputed for you know, more than 10 years or whatever, that's where the property line is. Yeah, well, I have the problem that my property is has got a pedigree and changing the property line to, to match the actual usage property would, would have been very expensive. Yeah, like local community here, uh, or the closest thing to uh, unincorporated town, the... Uh, they found out when they st- when they started arguing about property, the original street plots were very, very wide, and half the ha- people's houses were sitting out in the middle of the street, so they decided, oh, we'll be polite and not mess with each other. Yeah, well, my neighbor is anything but polite. Uh, but then again, in civilized countries, well, you could be dealt with. Unfortunately, in America, the dueling is frowned upon. Are you saying you're not living in a civilized country? Yes, I'm living in a civilized country with an uncivilized neighbor, and some civilized countries allow you to deal with the problem. Ah, got it. Robert Heinlein, in one of his books, Time Enough for Love, had one of his characters say there's a certain kind of person whose shooting of which should be considered discharging a firearm in city limits. I really like that book. Or Disturbing the Peace or something similar. I think he'd met people like my neighbor. Your audio is scrambled. Well, if I can pump out my cellar this spring, I, I can live with him. And if I can't, that may render the house uninhabitable, so uh, the problem will resolve itself. He's also blocking the drainage over the hill, just to be friendly. You'll notice his friendly is active low. Does this leave you with enough of a lot to live on and drive, park your car? Well, he, 
he was planning on taking my backyard and he was very upset when I didn't give it to him for nothing. Uh, I'd asked him to leave a strip so that I'd have a, you know, six or eight foot backyard, but the fence that he wanted to put up would have taken all of the flat land adjacent to his property for free, of course, and he would have given me my driveway back and stream bank and the stream and a dying willow tree that would have been a major problem would have all been his donation for giving him uh, a large area behind my property as close to the house as he could run his fence. Is there some reason that this didn't start with a negotiation? Is there something you did to his sister or something? Why should he negotiate? He's right. He, he had an approval of the town to fence the stream bank because of the way the, the lot lines are here. And so far, he's he's done nothing that they wanted for amelioration, and he's just taken land that was abandoned by the previous property owner, and he says, well, I'm paying taxes on it, now I can use it. Wait a minute. Were you, okay, this is lot land you were using. Were you paying taxes? No, it was just a at one time, it was used as an easement to build the original business buildings that abut the backside of our property. And at one time, because a large chunk of his property is a covered stream, he couldn't expand that deck any further. So the prior owner couldn't expand that deck any further, so that they limited his use of, of this little sliver along the stream. Now the guy woke up and had to do a little supposed to put in a sediment pond and stuff for drainage off of his uh, auto repair place to try to catch the oil and whatnot and he fenced the property line along my driveway because that's where the property line was because in the late teens the stream was much wider in this area so was the property line based on the stream itself rather than like a, a an oak tree it's based or on something. a survey with a very stringent survey standard that's no longer used anywhere because it is very expensive to meet the uh pedigreed property line basically it's a pedigree you know very high highly uh restricted original plot and the fact the ground has changed in the intervening century uh, without the property lines being adjustable. And since our neighbor, our prior neighbor, just didn't need to use the property, he was a decent neighbor, he fenced the property he used and left us this little triangle to be our side yard, uh, there was no big deal. Weird. Well, also, while the Town Conservation Commission has an agreement with him and it's a state and Department Environmental Protection Project, nobody has actually come down to see that he hasn't met a lot of the standards of his amelioration agreement. He was very upset when the town did not allow him to expand his building as much as he wanted to, and once he got upset, he was looking for someone to pay for the problem, or for land he could grab to go back to them and expand his building if he wanted. A few years ago, my wife and I were looking at a piece of property, and I looked at the um, the maps at the tax assessor's office, that, and it showed that there was a part of the property 
was didn't actually belong to the property. It was I don't remember now exactly what it was, but it was something that the uh, real estate agent said, "Oh well, that's too small to actually do anything with, so it'll never actually be nobody'll ever do anything with that. So you can use it, and it won't affect your use of the property and stuff like that." We just kind of said, eh, "Never mind." Well, my father tried to buy this property, the little sliver from our, its former owner, but evidently the owner wanted substantial money for it. So he said, "Well, if I've got the use of it, I'll just use it," and and it left a mess for me, the next generation. Well, it sounds like it worked out for him. Yeah, well, he figured to lose the house in a divorce anyway, so he wasn't really wanting to invest much work in it. That really makes sense. And my mother didn't worry too much about my survival after I was done taking care of her. After all, I served my purpose in life. Man, that's harsh. So I was getting PTSD in, in domestic combat. Domestic combat? Well, wow, I just well, yeah, back and hear domestic combat. Well, Happy New Year's, uh, New York yeah, well, and the rest of the Yeah, world. well, don't know what's going on with my audio sometimes. Uh, my mother took the word obey out of the wedding vows shortly after the Korean War, which was a bit radical at the time. That would have been fine, but that's the only word my dad needed in them. And they were married for 30-plus years of... Um, well, uh, verbal knife fighting. He was an alcoholic and she was a codependent and adult child of alcoholic. I mean, you know, as I said, this has been, this house was the front lines. Looks like it's Happy New Year's for the East Coast of USA, right? It is indeed. There's, uh, there's fireworks going on outside my house. Well, it's quiet here right now, but uh, I'm aware. I'm, uh, 55 minutes away. And the ways for these countries is a little bit odd in the way because it's just, they're just too big, really, so they're split up in all these, you know, time zones. America being one of those countries, Australia is another, and there's Russia as well. So, yeah, I mean, partly in 2018 and mostly in 2017 for that one, America, but it's just a bit strange, isn't it, in a way? But that's how it is. Anyway, um... Has anyone got, like, an actual chat topic, I wonder, of some sort? Like a, yeah, a good one. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.